Did I just hear a floppy? All right, let's get hey, around Twitch. I'm waiting for YouTube. Yeah, we'll catch up. Here we go. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Game, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph of Dinty's Hideaway, Eric Canales. Graham Vebke, Glenn Hewitt, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Dowds, Jenna Farron, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Rick Ewan, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. <laughs> is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, cause Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, Coco Nuts. We are here, episode 201. We're so excited. We're at, like, David Ladd at a floppy convention. We are we are ready to go on the next 200 episodes of Coco Talk. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> welcome, 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 Coco Talk panel. I'm seeing uh, some familiar faces, as well as uh, being uh, happy to be back in the mix. How are you all doing? Doing well, thank you. All right, doing, doing okay. great. We're good. Yeah, Mikey. Mikey, Mike Furman in the chat is saying, Stevie sounds funny today. And yes, Stevie realized after 200 episodes, he hadn't used any of his Coco Talk PTO. So mm. he, he just took it all at once. And it was a well-deserved vacation. <laughs> so, all 20 uh, minutes of it. <laughs> uh, we also have 
all sorts of people in the live chat. Daddy Burrito. I don't I don't know what's going on there. Kevin Holloway is in the live chat. Terry Steen, uh, I believe uh, famous from uh, incidents with Rogue Furniture, is out there. Strick, uh, that we met up in uh, VCF West. Coco Man, who's that? Says Rob. I have no in- idea. Some in- schmuck. In man. And Mikey Mike Furman, 8-Bits in the Basement, Canadian Retro Things, says, hi, everyone. Uh, so we'll probably do some uh, panel introductions, see what's going on with everybody. Um, I've been uh, uh, I've been doing stuff with my Raspberry Pi. Uh, I'm, I've am i been uh, just busy with life. If you're wondering where, where I've been, Rob Ian-Min. And... Um, just excited to be back. I, I'm not. I didn't uh, defect to Commodore. Uh, I mean, I'm not. A, I wasn't a spy for Commodore like the like the guy in uh, Coco Forever. So, no worries there. On the top left of the Hollywood Squares, we have a hardware expert and uh, extraordinaire. You know him by Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. How are you doing? Greetings. Uh, wow. I'm a hardware expert. Yay. <laughs> well, compared to Curtis. <laughs> thank you for setting the bar so low on that one for me, Curtis. Yeah, this, I was this has say, more hardware experience than I do this piece of paper here. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say anybody's an expert compared to Curtis. I ain't my thing. Great. Well, uh, well, glad to have you here and we'll Certainly let us know if you have any um, news or acquisitions so we can make sure we get to that in the later segments of the show. Uh, L. Curtis Boyle, uh, you know him, yeah. you love him. He, he anti-hardware expert. He knows a little something about operating systems. And uh, that I do know a little bit about, yeah. <laughs> how are you doing and what? how are you feeling after the glow of the episode 200? Well, it's kind of radioactive glow, I think, is probably the more accurate term here. So, you know, I'm gradually whittling away. Uh, no, I'm doing pretty good. Um, we're planning for a 6.1 EOU update. It's just going to be a, mi- a minor update with, you know, additional programs, a few changes and stuff here for April. So about a month, month and a half from now. Okay. Well, great. Well, Stevie will probably be out that day. Um, I'll yeah, probably and Nick Morendi's will be just hanging on every word. So it's, it's all good. <laughs> You never know. There's always a new trash can uh, with Nick Morentes. But that's not the Nick we want to talk about first. <laughs> that Nick is way down under. We've got Nick Moroda. You have to say his name thrice. He knows a little something about games. <laughs> a little something. I don't know. Maybe not quite as much as Curtis, but uh, he, he's, he's what I'm aspiring to, so. I feel anyway. so sorry for you. <laughs> anyway, Rob, great to have you here hosting. Thank you very much. And it's great to be here. Great to be here in the top right. Our resident Apple guy, 6502, is a number that means something to him. He's Mark yes. Overholzer. Hi there. Glad to be here. <laughs> Well, great to have you, and uh, I think uh, uh, I think our next guest on the panel is uh, working on some some other device, Australian named device that has many many switches and toggle switches. What are you working on, Jason Reichert from CocoMan.biz? 
Hello, Mr. Rob Inman. Oh, I'm always working on something, usually stuff for other people, but um, I'm excited. I've got my diet, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's great. And I know also with us on the panel and, a, and also a special guest later in the show is Joanne Donaldson. Welcome to the panel, and we're glad to have you. Seen you a lot on Facebook. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's been good to get back uh, acquainted with everybody yeah, for so many years. Great. Well, I know. Yeah, you... welcome back. Welcome back. I know you have some, uh, you know, you're porting a game over. We're going to, I don't want to spoil uh, your demonstration later in the show, but we're going to be uh, certainly excited to see that. Um, out here, my neighbor, I can see in the, I can see your backyard, Rick, Ron, and, and, you really got to clean up back there. Uh, it's just a mess. But He's got too uh, many telescopes. <laughs> well, actually, that's that's your backyard, isn't it? Yeah, I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> that looks a lot better. So is that really the... a telescope, or is it a Batman signal? <laughs> yes, all of the above. Well, how are you doing? It's it's uh, it's going to be scope. pool pool weather in Arizona. It is soon. Yep, and um, it's always the weather for a. Uh, color computer to be fired up and played with yeah we're getting we're getting into pool weather up here in canada too except you have to do polar bear swims you have to cut a hole in the ice and dive in so it's, it's similar <laughs> similar but different well i know uh, we'll be talking to you later rick uh, rick ron as well uh, as you have a few uh, acquisitions to talk about but the but mr acquisitions is here next on the panel um, Brian Weasler is here and he may have been on eBay recently. Brian? eBay? What's that? Uh, I need to check into that. Is that something new? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that's yeah. right. Sorry, it's, you were on Yahoo Auctions. <laughs> Yahoo Auctions, there you go. <laughs> Hi, Ron. Welcome all. Great. Well, a guy who's just who stands by and makes sure. Well, when he's not eating, he is standing by <laughs> to always take over the stream and help us out with technical problems. Um, he's got a really nice cat. Uh, where's your cat, Mark B? Um, right there in the bed with his mouth, clo mouth closed. All right. Sleeping. That's better than last time. His mouth was open for a different purpose. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As noted in she the... Saw uh... the sh she <laughs> saw the show has started. Yeah, I'm surprised we just don't have a massive panel reaction like that every time, too. So, As mentioned Great. in the recap that Brian Joyce did, remember? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a day that will live in infamy. Anyway, continue on, Rob. Great. Sorry. Well, uh, Mark, I don't know if you plan to show off your radio or anything anything like that uh, that you were talking about me yesterday, but uh, we'll loop back with you if you decide to do that. Uh, yeah, it's just something I uh, dug out of the uh, garage. It's been sitting there a while, so I dug it up. So I dug it up. So I put it on display. All right. Well, you should go digging in Ron's garage because you get a lot more, <laughs> a lot more stuff over there. Uh, speaking of hardware and software and technical knowledge, we have another another esteemed panelist, Rick. You, uh, <laughs> uh, the guy behind you, Rick. <laughs> Howdy, folks. Hey, before last week's show, we had gained over a foot of snow. Before this week's snow, we'd lost it all again. So, doing great. 
<laughs> I'm jealous. We haven't lost much of ours at all. A little bit, but not much. Oh, we lost all of ours here in Dallas. I've only got a foot left. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, hopefully everyone who has been Texas is uh, making it out of that weather situation. Um, yeah, but- it was the first time I think we ever made, got down to three degrees uh, F. Uh, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit at night. That was a record. Did you lose power? Uh, no, I just I happened to live like three blocks from a fire station, so I was inside of their grid. Okay, you got lucky then because we have quite a few people got hit without the eight bit guy, Richard Lobieski, and others. You know, they had you know damage to the house and stuff from yeah. water breaks and stuff too. So. Right. Thoughts and thoughts and prayers out to everybody that uh, survived that. And hopefully, um, I like. Uh, is there still some parts of uh, Texas that don't have clean drinking water yet? Is there still some that, that is water? true. There's a uh, boil water notice on many areas still. Yeah. So hope, hopefully uh, that gets resolved soon. Yeah, there's a city right next to us called Mesquite, Texas, and they're still on a boil water uh, conditions. Uh, so hopefully they'll get out of there and. Uh, Jason, I love your cat. <laughs> Rocky. Yeah, Rocky had to. Rocky was ready for his close-up. <laughs> well, does Rocky have any acquisitions? Uh, any mice or? Uh... Um, not that I'm aware of. No, 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 no. Come on, no, I set uh, you up for some cat humor. Cat you, humor. Yeah. You let me uh, down. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's got a new one of those squeaky mouse things because he always loses them, so we have to get him new ones. I don't know where he puts them. Well, you might see other Coco Cats uh, here throughout the show, uh, everybody. But I was looking at Facebook the uh, uh, last night, and I saw Brian Shubring had a dream. And uh, maybe he'll tell us about that dream uh, today. But, but Brian, we're, we're excited uh, about to hearing more. And uh, welcome back to the show. <laughs> this is the voice from the dark side of the Coco. How is everybody doing? Let's go to Oz. He just can't resist, can he? Let's go to Oz. How's everybody doing? I, I think that means you took too much. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm here. Happy to be here. Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see what's going on. We'll just... It was just a, a thought that I had about, you know, kind of like an I.O. board to stack a different mod or uh, packs in and just do some readdressing. It was just a thought. But like I said, it was a dream. Oh. I don't know what my brain came up with, but it came up with that. Well, you, okay. <laughs> it's a thought that counts. And, you know, many people have had famous dreams. So we'll, uh, we'll want to hear yours. Um, we talked to Mark, but people are switching around on the panel on the Hollywood Squares, but we talked to Mark Bosley, and we also have a, a, a guy here uh, who's porting a game and doing all sorts of stuff for us on Discord. He's got uh, a first initial, like uh, like like others on the panel, which, which denotes his power and his superiority over <laughs> others. He is R. Alan Murphy. Ah, greetings, Cocoverse. More Coco. <laughs> Not there, Alan Murphy. Our no, Alan Murphy. that's exactly right. He's no oh, one else's. And Alan Murphy. <laughs> one of the Allens. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, at least at least last name doesn't start with an H. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we if we can't get around it. We're gonna have to mention him. He's here. We suffer through. He complains a lot, but he makes great games. And so, <laughs> his name's Nick Morentes, and uh, he he mostly just complains about OS nine. Um, is that my cue to wake up? Crikey! <laughs> oh, oh good day, everyone. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> no complaints. And no. scene. He waits yes. for the show to start first. Oh, okay. Nick Can I go back is, to sleep now. You're a man of few words, but of many Coco games. Exit <laughs> stage left. That's right. Um. And last, but not not last. And certainly not least. Oh, let me sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will quickly introduce David Ladd, because Coco Man doesn't like when I do my long David Ladd intros. <laughs> oh, I don't. No, I don't think you do. He, I think he enjoys I, it way too much. I, I'm. This is the last. Uh, yeah, I'm always last to find out. A man. <laughs> Who? No, David. Are you there? And are you excited? Why, hello everyone. Is everybody ready for today's train wreck? I know everybody's excited for the everything to go off the rails. Let's wait and see. Have a great day. In inspiring words. Uh, that David. was rather subdued for you, David. <laughs> yes. Uh, James Diffendaffer, we, uh, I, you know, I haven't been on the show in a while, but I don't know if we haven't seen you in a while. But what are you up to, and uh, do you have anything to share today? Oh, what am I up to? I'm just here to see if L. Curtis Boyle's voice holds out through the entire extended uh, news segment because we didn't have one last week. I'll be, okay. I'll be cracking puberty at some point during the broadcast. <laughs> Well, what is it like a Benjamin Button thing where we're going back, back in time on the news? Um, well, well the retro shows, of course. <laughs> Second pass. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're gonna um, we want to go and talk about a game. Uh, do we want a break or do we not want a break, Nick Morota? Um. It's only been 20 minutes. I would yeah, say I go wouldn't... into Gimes and go into the game chat. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't I just quickly say uh, uh, again, just say who, who else is chatting here, and then we'll go right into um, the game on information from last week. James Jones says, glad to be here. Allison, see Allison, ours, uh, talking about, I guess, temperatures going down in Wisconsin. Uh, Daddy Burrito mentioning the Cocoa Cat from Rainbow. And um, Mikey talking about Brian uh, turning that to keep that RF away from your cocoa next time. The list goes on and on. Ken is, uh, uh, I guess, you know, impatient. I, I don't know what's going on, Ken. Skip Gimes and say we did. All right. Well, uh, I, you know, I know Ken's not. <laughs> was that Ron who said Are we that? voting? <laughs> are we voting? I think we know. I think we know how Ron Delvaux is going to vote. Uh, Ken is not a fan of uh, Samuel Gimes, as we know. Um, so, but uh, we are. So we're going to hear a little bit about from Samuel Gimes on the game of the week. 
and then we'll go into high score challenge, right, Nick? Correct. All right. Straight in. Are you ready? Here we go. Actually, we can. Mm. Re- yeah. What? Go ahead. You sure? Yep. Go ahead. I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Who are you calling a go ahead? Coco thoughts. <laughs> And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel he really Gein. <laughs> so, why can't the frog swim? <laughs> High Score Challenge All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Froggy with 26 scores submitted. David Ladd, 10. Mark B, 2,700. RLN Murphy, 3,290. Coco Discord user, 4,980. Karina, 5,270. Henry Nonick, 6,660. Kalen, 7,080. Louis, 9,890. Gary M, 10,260. Just Mike, 12,510. Nathan, 14,440. 8 Bits in the Basement, 14,670. AC's 8 Bit Zone, 15,390. Boat of Car, 15,600. Mr. Dave, 15,650. Tom C, 19,480. David Craker, 20,710. JWSC 30, 23,450. Paul Shoemaker, 24,980. Jim Rye, 27,320. Me, 30,550. Frodo NL, 38,380. Canadian Retro Things, 38,990. Tasman, 59,170. Kieran, 87,800. And the number one score this week belongs to Buck Owens with 100,000 even. Nice score. Thank you to all this week's participants and for all the scores submitted. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. Nice. Plus, I, I have Bill Gimes and David Ladd phoned it in this week. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, so before Nick gets into the discussion of the game here, Rondova, was that your favorite Gimes episode in the last few months? To tell you the truth, I didn't even see it. <laughs> so, he must have blinked. <laughs> I was busy doing something or other. I looked up and it was gone, and then you said it was short. Yep. So. I have to ask, uh, Nick, could you repeat again? I didn't quite catch it. What was David Ladd's score? 10. You. <laughs> you know, I figure minimal effort on playing gets minimal effort on reporting the score. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, let me try and... So, there's the scores from... Which, which are very reasonable because uh, Buck Owens beat it. So those are uh, definitely a uh, gettable score. So here's the uh, review from uh, Rainbow, um, which, oh, they said the graphic. I, I didn't read it yet, but I just noticed the graphics and sound effects are, are good, but not good. Anyway, 
kind of a uh... yeah they gave you a good review i mean and i have to agree like the, the graphics the sound effects aren't too bad but the graphics aren't the best at, you know to the coco's frog, really? frog thought, clones oh i thought they were but anyway uh maybe not i don't know i didn't see the one that you talked about we'll talk about a little bit about that later on but i did go through i did try a couple different ones including the uh the officially uh, licensed version and uh, didn't really care for it as much as Froggy. So yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. So uh, anyway, here's some gameplay from again from Canadian Retro Things. Thank you for submitting this. And uh, so yeah, Fro this is Frogger, as which most people are familiar with. I consider Frogger to be one of the uh, top tier games that people think of. When I think of 80s video games, you know, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Frogger. I think those are like among the, the upper echelons of games in from the 80s. Um, you know, this was a game that was, uh, I believe it was designed uh, that, that women would like to play it as well. You know, because it's not violent and, and that sort of thing. That's that's where I think. I know, getting hit call. by a car is pretty violent. Or eaten <laughs> by a crocodile. Did this yeah. version have any music? Because there's another version that has a real catchy song. It has the or the typical Coco organ sounding uh, music. It plays the intro, but there's no music during the gameplay like in the arcade. I don't know if any of the Coco versions have music actually during. The no, Frogger, Frogger, the official one does it when you die and it's just doing the death song bit. It, it tries to, but you can see how jerky the graphics get. Now, the thing that's very disappointing about this, this version in particular is it did support the speech sound pack, but only lame speech saying, you know, yeah, uh, every, just about players. everybody that wrote for that card made took the lazy way out and just did the speech stuff which was horrible and then didn't use the actual you know multi-music they could have had the theme songs playing in the background oh absolutely this. this game was was crying out for that i mean they could have made it even more like the arcade and had the music playing while you were bopping around so so uh unlike the uh, arcade this one had a bit of a scoring thing you could take advantage of and uh, I will show uh, Buck Owens also submitted several gameplays this week. Uh, he scored 100,000. And one of the ways he did it was, uh, unlike in the arcade, in the arcade version, you got points uh, for jumping only the first time you got uh, ascended. So if you jump forward, back, for, you get, if you jump forward, you get the 10 points. But if you jump back and forward, you wouldn't get 10 points. So every time you jump forward, you got 10 points. Whereas this version, as you see Buck Owens demonstrating, you got 10 points every time you jumped. So uh, the technique that people started using to bump up their score was to, uh, to jump around like mad for a while before you <laughs> went home. And I discovered this technique as well early on in, in the week. I didn't do it quite as much as Buck Owens is doing because I would inevitably end up jumping back into the traffic or into the water and killing myself. And yes, Buck Owens does have the colors backwards. Uh, but I was okay. just going to mention that myself. <laughs> it looks more like he's jumping in lava. And that's all right. Maybe, maybe. Now maybe that makes more lava. sense, actually, because a frog can swim. Water should not be a problem for a frog. Lava, on the other hand, that is bad. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Buck Owens has it right after all. Yeah, so, be onto something. So that's how Buck Owens uh, got his, uh, a strategy used to get his 100,000. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the game allows it. It's not cheating. It's not cheap. You're not. Uh, it's, yeah, but your trade-off is you lose bonus. Yeah, but I think the points you, you get more. for this is much higher. You know, so. I, I do want to make a couple mentions from the chat here. Um, Frodo did a stream this morning where he was doing the official ports of Frogger for 
26 different versions for consoles and, and games, which included the Coco official version. And he even said too, like he played Froggy as part of the challenge and he much prefers Froggy over the official version by the Cornsoft group. And then um, speaking of having background music and games, uh, uh, Ken Reichert says before the Coco 3, which of course had then a programmable timer to make music a lot easier to do in the background. Only two games I remember having music was Grabber and Crazy Painter. And I think there might've been a third, but those two, yeah, those are two of the few. Yeah. But I mean, with the speech sound pack, they could have. I yeah. mean, I well, remember- Pit, Pitfall 2 did. That was one yeah. that did speech sound pack, did it properly. But I mean, I bought the speech sound pack, not for the speech, but I wanted it for, I figured games were going to have start having good music in them. And I was a little- Yeah, or sound effects. But very few did. I mean, like Pitfall 2 did the music in the background. Um, Interbank Incident actually used some of the sound effects for doing like waves and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was very yeah. underutilized. Everybody used it for speech. I think it's because the easiest to program. But yeah, yeah it's disappointing. F-16 so, Assault used it also. Oh, right. Yeah, for sound, sound effects effect. for shots and stuff. Yeah, explosions. So as I mentioned, I did try a couple different versions. But Curtis, you and I were talking before the show. You mentioned a version by Tom Mix that I did not run across. And what were your uh, impressions of the Tom Mix version? Well, first of all, Frogger's like Pac-Man. There's probably, if you go through them all and the derivatives, there's at least a dozen versions of Frogger for the Coco. Now you can get you know, stuff like Rail Runner, which is in semi-graphics. And it, it, it's the basic game theme, but it's it's you're rescuing hobos running across train tracks <laughs> to ah. go to sleep or something. I can't remember the exact specifics. Was. Oh, that's that's the Pegasus of uh, Fro the Frogger version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was like Frog Trek, and there was the Hot Cocoa Frogger clone, and then the Rainbow Roach from Rainbow is kind of Frogger in, in certain levels and stuff. So it's, um, there, there's a, a lot of them, fest? but basically, what? Dinner at Cocoa Fest? <laughs> yeah, Stevie <laughs> did the live version kind of like uh, they did in uh, Seinfeld. Um, but yeah, the, the, for me personally, I think the best balanced version is the one you picked, Froggy. Good gameplay, good controls. Does have some of the music and interludes, not while playing, obviously, and and the gameplay is very close to the arcade in general. Uh, for me, the best graphically would have been the Frog by Tom Mix because he actually took the graphics beyond the arcade in some ways. Like the logs don't just scroll across like the arcade or this version does; they actually roll in the water as they're going across. And the, the cars have animated windshield wiper blades and exhaust pipes spewing out. Exhaust oh wow! It's got very nice graphics. Unfortunately, the sound is basically the play command from basic like it's just it's not even organ music it's just straight one tone 60 hertz type thing uh, and the keyboard controls because of the way he did the sound and stuff there's a long delay you hit a key and sometimes it feels like a second a half a second that it, it waits before it jumps so the controls are terrible to use as well so it, it's got great graphics sucks on gameplay sucks on sound if, if you combine the graphics from that with this and kept the sound effects and kept the gameplay from this version i think you'd have a really good clone so you mentioned the hot cocoa version. That was Croker, right? Yes. So the cool thing about Croker was that hot cocoa actually ran a six-part series on how to create an assembly language game, and yeah. Croker was the demo. So if you typed in the listing, which I started to but couldn't finish because I couldn't find one of the issues, but <laughs> uh, which back then we didn't have the internet and, and you couldn't just like easily acquire it. But if you typed in all six of the listings, you'd end up with a machine language game and learn how to. Uh, code assembler language so that's something yeah, I've been there's a few to go back uh, hot cocoa did space hawk like that too i believe rainbow did a couple like that like little runner and stuff so the magazines did make machine language games and of course that's a lot of typing so most people just bought it on disc or tape 
Yeah. And we had some, we had some derivatives too, where people who didn't know how to program a similar language really well kind of took some shortcuts, like Frog Trek. I don't know if you've seen that one by what is it, Oil Rich? Is that the one that goes vertical? It goes the... vertical. Yes, that's one thing different. The other thing was he couldn't get the scrolling running fast enough on um, all the tracks on the road and all the tracks on the water. So he actually only animates like the ones in, within <laughs> like four or five spaces of your frog. So everything's yes. not moving at all. And then you run across and then you know more and more cars start moving. Then the logs start moving. And then as you get onto the logs, the cars start stop moving because it couldn't keep the animation going all the way. Around. Yes. <laughs> it was a one nice thing, attempt. One thing I noticed about the, uh, I only played the official version for a, 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 like a minute before I decided I didn't really care for it. Um, first off, I thought the P mode three graphics would have suited it, but I found the graphics were a little clunky in that one. Uh, and I think the snake appeared right away on the first level. So it might've been actually harder than the, uh, the arcade version so because this one the snake doesn't appear until level what three or four as far as i remember yeah the one that goes across the middle i think the first yeah first level you just have logs second level you start getting the crocodiles is that how it goes I can't remember yeah that. yeah and then you get those little badgers that uh that apparently get real uh yeah otters or real whatever they're called, otters right? and maybe they're otters yeah you, they get really annoying apparently as you get up in levels and i heard uh reading the comments in uh, discord apparently level seven the difficulty is quite hard and then it kind of eases back a bit yeah i think bucket mentioned uh steve he'd mentioned that um the timer like you, you start getting so many otters and stuff that it, the timer becomes an issue for you to even complete the level because you have to wait until you get an opportune you know set of things to jump across in the water area and sometimes you're waiting quite a while from the sounds of it so i guess the otters they uh when you're sitting on a, a log if it comes up behind that log it knocks you off i guess is what what they do yeah, no, he's gotten way further in the game than I ever have. So, yeah, like, well, any questions? Refer to him. <laughs> For some reason, he asked Buck always decided to stop at a hundred thousand. He was like, "If a hundred thousand, drop the mic." So he just kind of let yeah. himself die at a hundred thousand. I guess he proved. Yeah, I beat all the rainbow was, scores from back in the day. I'm good. Here's the little otter guy. So, and somebody asked if that frog was a female, and I always assumed it was. I assumed you were bringing her back to your pad. You know, for uh, well, I think it depends on the player, right? They're generic enough, it doesn't really matter. So, if you're a female, you're catching the male or whatever, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, thank you. I didn't mean to be sexist there, you're right. Well, as I mentioned, this, or it could I think be a Frogger prince, was... you know, maybe you take him back and then later on in some cutscene, you know, it changes back to a prince. I don't know, maybe one thing so I have yeah. to find uh, this is this Buck's video here, yes. I, I did want to mention that uh, the full page ad that Spectral did for Froggy, they only ran one issue, if I remember correctly. Like it wasn't one that they really hyped up all that much. And then they just put it on the generic ads they had with multiple games on the same page. But every once in a while, they did these full page ads. Lancer was one they did for multiple months. Is that the um, ad that he's showing on his yeah. feet? Is that yeah, the... that's the official Spectral ad for Froggy itself. But it, I think it only appeared in one issue as a full page ad. And after that, it was relegated to the generic, here's 15 games from Spectral type thing. Oh, that's a nice ad. So I want to point that out because that's pretty rare. If you did weren't buying Rainbow or Color Computer Magazine or whatever at that time period, you might have missed even seeing an ad for it. Surprised didn't get in a little bit of trouble for the similarities in the name and the uh, gameplay, but I don't know how that worked because the king got in trouble. Yeah, Donkey when it was called king. Donkey King, and then they renamed it the King. Mm -hmm. But so yeah, we had a good turnout this week. This game proved to be pretty popular, and and I'm glad to hear that uh, I, I picked the. the probably the the version that we, we uh was the better one to pick yep. um so yeah so congratulations buck owens and thank you buck owens and crt for your gameplay videos 
And uh, are we ready to talk about next week's game? Oh, yes. Sure. All right. So next Ooh. week's game. Uh, is what was request. that, David Ladd? What did David Ladd? Ooh. Or was that Jason? <laughs> incredible simulation. Hashtag Ooh. fake David Ladd. That was, that was Jason, Jason Ladd. <laughs> so next week's game is, uh, or this week's game is a request uh, by Stevie, Sloopy, and, um, and um, oh shoot, I can't remember. Is it Color Script Set 2? It's another, oh, <laughs> Simon, 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 Sloopy, and another, I knew it was another S name. I'll request this game, and I thought it was an original. But it turns out it's actually a clone. Do you guys know, recognize oh, this Beam game? Rider slash the electric yo-yo in the arcade. I never heard of the electric yo-yo. So I was it all wasn't stuck. a hugely popular arcade game. So for all intents and purposes, it's an original. But no, it really is a clone. No, it's it's, it's a complete clone. Even, even the setup of all the dots you got to eat, the squares here, is exactly the same between levels in the arcade. So that is the, the that is so you control that yellow thing, that yellow orb. Yeah, the yo-yo. And and oh uh, yo-yo, I guess it makes sense. Uh, and you, your goal is to, cl- is to clear these blue dots by running over them. And there's some physics involved. You actually attach to the blue dot and, and uh, swing across. Otherwise, you're moving very slowly. Yes. And you have to avoid uh, the bad guys. And, except there's one. Some I of the bad guys you have to run over too. So there's, cer- there's certain things you run over that pause the, some of the other bad guys. And there's a few different nuances to it. So you may want to check the manual on this. One. <laughs> yeah. Or, or check out the original arcade gameplay if you want to get a, a good summary of it. There's YouTube videos of like Tricky all over the place. So. So Beam Rider, that is our game of the week. And uh, thank you to everybody who took part this week. I will mention to our Dragon friends, any of you that are running on actual PAL, of course, because this is using P-Mode 3 and not 4, you don't have to worry about the crosshatch, black and white, crappy lack of, you know, like PAL colors, or lack of NTSC colors on PAL. This will play in full proper color. Excellent. And of course, if you have a Coco 3, you can tweak the palette settings like we've done on a couple other games in the challenge before. So if you don't like that green background, you can change it to black. Yeah. Or whatever. That's always, I always find that kind of fun too, to change the palettes and make it look uh, the way you want it to. So that's a good, that's a good tip. All right. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, uh, players. And we'll see you next week. Great. With, uh, I think results. before we go, did we want to, did Nick Morentes have something related to games to talk about? Nick. uh a little project we, update we want uh, to catch nick here before he falls asleep on the news so that's right yeah uh, are we doing the game news or you're gonna you're gonna hit, you're gonna be like the precursor to the game news oh okay. yes yeah, so we're in a game um, news segment now. we're kind of in the yeah. game news segment. i'll have to wake up um, great story so well I, I don't have any more game news as far as far as my current game um i haven't been doing any more work on that uh i think what i've done so far is i've designed the levels on that or the the graphic levels and i've designed some of the other main graphics so i've been doing all the content i haven't done any coding as yet but what i've done is i've jumped over to a um, sideline project uh temporarily which is uh adding working on my um with jim brain the mp3 cartridge so one of the functions on the mp3 cartridge was the fact that it had 512k of flash ram the idea of the flash ram is that you can write uh, a game a 512k coco 3 game say into the flash uh flash rom 
and so that the cartridge acts as a game cartridge that utilizes the MP3 and the onboard 8-bit DACs. So I've written a, a utility that allows the writing of that flash RAM. So we had a bit of hardware problems, which Jim has sorted out. So I've started writing that utility and I can probably just share a screenshot just to let people know what it looks like. And I'm going to attempt to share. Okay. Okay, is that coming through? Yep. Yes. Okay, so it's just a little utility which allows you to uh, displays all the Coco 3's memory memory blocks and you basically highlight the blocks that you want to save to the cartridge, which is the blocks that your game uses. And uh, you can pick a location of the on the SRAM as well and write those blocks to the flash RAM so that uh, when you eventually when you plug the cartridge in it'll run the game as a cartridge game loading it in from from that flash ram uh, on a system that has no disk drive just a basic coco 3 uh, with 512k of ram of course so that's all, all i've been doing that's the uh, little utility still a few things to uh, to do um, but slowly we're, we're working on that um on that um uh real audio pack as we've called it which is the um the mp3 cartridge rom pack uh and plus an orc 90 and it's an orc, orc 90 as well now one nice thing about this cartridge i should mention because we've had some other like the mega mpis and stuff that have you know orc 90 and stuff and some other cards have had similar hardware is that yours actually allows the mp3 and the orc 90 to be mixed together and then actually play out the cocoa speaker correct well yes yes so or you, through the external speakers like it's not one or the other like some of the other solutions this no it actually combines it, it you so essentially you got two sound sources uh being fed to the cocoa which is the uh orc 90 and the mp3 and also the Orc 90 is two channels, so it allows for stereo as well if, if you want to use both of the 8-bit DACs of the Orc 90. So you can have stereo sound effects being generated by the Coco as well as real MP3 tracks playing in the background during gameplay uh, with no delay. So, so currently I've got Gunstar is working with the MP3 and the uh, stereo Orc 90. Um, so eventually when we do release the cartridge, I will probably just bundle that new version of Gunstar in with the cartridge uh, so that you can basically, as a demo to what the cartridge can do. But anyone can then take that cartridge, plug it into an, a multi-pack and use the cartridge for their own programs uh, that they load from from disk, uh, accessing the MP3 or the AUK90 of the cartridge. So the cartridge acts as a sound card. Um, yeah. It's not just just a game cartridge. Plus, plus, since there's 512k in there, and like I know most of your games don't even take half that. You no, technically no. can put more than one game on there, or well, more than one program. I, I'm, so. I'm designing that utility I just showed. So it will allow multiple programs or as much as you can fit into 512K, basically. Um, to, to, so you can write multiple games in the flash RAM. And then when you plug the cartridge in, it'll boot. And if it senses more than one game on there, 
it'll bring up a menu and say, okay, which game do you want to play? And it'll load it from the uh, flash RAM and run. So that, that's what I'm working on at the moment. So this is a sideline project. My main project is that other game, um, Zero Hour, which I think I showed on the show a couple of weeks ago. But like I, like I normally do, in order to keep motivated, you don't just sort of put all your efforts into the one program for, for months because you burn yourself out. So I, I do a bit on the game, then I go to a side project, and then I return to the game. So it just sort of breaks it up, keeps things uh, exciting, <laughs> and I end up uh, completing more than one project at a time. <laughs> Now, quick question for you, Nick. Um, the, the York 90 and the MP3 player, are you planning on supporting both of those in this new game as well, the Zero Hour game? I'd like to. At this at this stage, I'm writing the game to be a standalone Coco 3 game with the, uh, the usual um, uh, DAC sound effects. And then I may release a MP3 cart specific version. Now, um, what I'm hoping for is... With, with this utility that I'm writing, anyone who has already bought the MP3 cartridge can erase the flash ROM and reprogram it themselves with this utility. So I could release the game um, as, a, as the MP3 version that people could re, uh, burn into a MP3 cart that they may have bought before. So you don't have to rebuy the hardware each time for every game, in other words, unless you want to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. Your Ferrari garage won't care if, if somebody does. Well, it's, it's, it's uh, you don't want to keep buying the same hardware over and over. So the, the idea with the, this cartridge is it's, it's not just a game cartridge. It is a sound cartridge that people could use for their own products that they load from disc, or if they want, they can burn it onto a um, uh, onto the flash RAM if, if if that's what they want. But anyway, that's uh, that's what I've been doing at the moment. Keeps cool. me off the streets. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. And the fact that you're letting other people basically add in programs. I know you said you have a menu that will actually detect if you have multiple games, and you can make it into a multi-game cartridge that all support the new hardware if it's the right games you have to pick. And then yeah, and, and, and a third-party person cool. can write their own game supporting the hardware and add it in addition to Gunstar on the cartridge themselves, and you can play Gunstar or their own game. So yeah, and it's machine language games, of course, uh, that you uh, would put in there. So anyone else who wants to even sell games, I guess, on ROM Pack could do that as well. Write the game, and with this utility I'm writing. Um, they could have instructions on how to burn it onto a uh, onto one of those flash uh, sound cards, and have it make their own ROM then from from that cartridge, or or buy the cartridge, and um, put the uh, software on that. It's it's flexible. You're not tied into just the one product. Cool. Looking forward to it. Anyway, that's it. Can I go back to sleep now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may. Thank oh, you. Can't go sleep. I got to do it. I, uh, you might be interested in my demo. <laughs> oh, okay. Far away. Well, you might be interested in putting your game on, on the uh, cartridge, which uh, 
I've got no timeline for when it's finished. Uh, like I said, it's a sideline project, so it's not something cartridge. I'm working flat tack on. I'm using. Oh, it to... my my game don't have any flashy graphics or anything. I'm sorry. Oh not well, even, <laughs> even so, you could write your game so that it loads off off you know floppy disk as as normal, but it can access the sound. Uh, so if you want to have you know, background music in your game, or you can actually use it to play sound effects. There's nothing stopping you from putting a, you know, a, an actual laser or explosion MP3 file on the cartridge that your program, whether it's machine language or even in basic, can't access that sound effect. So from basic, you can have full-blown explosions and lasers or whatever, and it's it's written in basic. You don't do anything really fancy. Yep. And the MP3 so, player runs completely in the background too, so it doesn't it runs take any CPU background. time from your game. No, zero CPU time. Well, I'm mine's a kind of a dungeons D and D game, so yeah, explosions and and you could. Uh, classic swords and stuff well, would, you, would really be nice. You could have voices in there as well, you know. Yeah, yeah interactive characters yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Record your own voice saying things. Uh, put that oh, on the no, MP3. No, no. Oh, so, or, or, or yeah, whatever. Or use Brian Schubring's voice with all the weird effects. Yeah, he keeps exactly. Putting on when he's on, you can have so. Brian Schubring uh, do the voicing for you. Record it, a few samples from him. Stick it on the card. <laughs> and your, basic, your basic, your basic program will access the MP3s. Yeah, uh, and you definitely don't want my TV voice voice that I use on the History Channel. No, no. Oh, okay. But <laughs> well, for those who don't uh, don't know, I'm also uh, a contributing cast member for a hit TV show on the History Channel called Ancient Aliens. Okay. Ah, has that got anything to do with David Ladd? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ancient Aliens. Check it out. Uh, Joanne, why don't we take a break? We'll we'll come back. I know your uh, your segment and uh, news is related to Game On, but why don't we just take a uh, short break and then we'll come back with special guest Joanne Donaldson. We'll return after these messages. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive realistic 77 AM-FM stereo receiver. Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching. In a genuine walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The sale-priced realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy Company. Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh. And if you're watching this, chances are you're a fan of the Coco, and hopefully Coco Talk. Before there was Coco Talk, there were my gameplay videos on YouTube, and I've got a couple of DVDs with some pretty cool collections. My first DVD was an assortment of videos that were on my YouTube channel with a special introduction, and this was released for my first Coco Fest I attended as kind of a, a pickup item you could grab at the show. However, 
there is more. I released another exclusive content for CocoFest 26, and this has 13 videos and over two hours of gameplay goodness of things that are not on my YouTube channel. So these are exclusive Coco gameplay videos and reviews and a special introduction and an and outro from yours truly. And if you're a fan of Coco Talk, we have the best of Coco Talk volume one and volume two featuring some um some videos that were produced by brian joyce who created our two best of um episodes for us at the end of 2017 but there's also an exclusive never seen episode of coco talk that we recorded for this video with a bunch of us getting together talking about how excited we were for the upcoming coco fest that year and some bonus content as well so if you're looking for some really cool exclusive coco goodies that you can watch at home at any time you might want to check out a whole bunch of these dvds where you can also get uh, t-shirts and coffee mugs at the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com so swing on by today and grab yourself some cool coco gear from the makers of the switcheroo Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. Back to Scandy, didn't I? <laughs> Hello there, it's me, Atsumo. Um, all the way from Melbourne to you, my darling. And um, congratulations on your talk show, Coco Talk. Oh my God, that's so exciting. I don't think I'd ever be good at a talk show. I just don't have anything ever to say, ever. Just can never think of things to say. It's just like there's no words ever come out of my mouth. It's just very embarrassing. I just, it's just silence all the time. <laughs> my darling, I hope you're having a fabulous day. From me to you, bye. <laughs> Extended Color Basic, combined with a disc controller, brings you Disc Extended Color Basic. Direct access to your floppies. Direct access to all of your hardware resources. Deck B on your color. And I'm coming back from that because I didn't want to copyright strike on the Tina Turner. So I uh, ended the commercial a little bit early there. I'm not, I wasn't sure about that. Well, plus Nitrous Nines is better anyway. So yeah. well plus, I was really offended by the commercial itself. Well, yeah, we know that it was an early out just to avoid the, the uh, graphic at the end. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I do recall some kind of Tina Turner uh, issue in the past, so um, better safe than sorry. Uh, we are back. Uh, Tina Turner is, is right about one thing. Coco Talk is simply the best, and we also have the best in special guests. So we will be uh, talking to Joanne Donaldson and I'm going to actually switch over to, even though it is game related, I'm going to switch back to my main screen because I have a um, title there. I have Joanne's name up on the screen. How about that? 
Curtis, do you want to kind of uh, segue into Joanne and uh, her history with the with the Coco and go from yeah, there? Yeah, I, I, I think she can explain that far better than I could. <laughs> there you go. Joanne, what do you want to tell us about um, your uh, experience with the Coco and what led you back uh, in the community? Well, way, 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 way back, um, Tandy came out with what's called Computer One, and I... Pretty much, uh, let me get back over here for the camera. Don't say me good. Uh, and I got uh, involved in it, uh, looked at it, uh, was working at NASA at the time, uh, doing uh, advanced cardiology uh, research. And as an engineer, um, I got looking at it and I went, oh, this looks interesting it's got color and everything so i bought one and then tandy came out with os9 and it was like oh this is neat so i bought a um a uh disc disc cartridge and a, a floppy disk hooked it all up uh ran uh fired up uh, os9 level one and found out that it was multitasking, multi-terminal, multi-processing, and it was like, oh my God, this is an engineer's dream. And so I was hooked on the Coco. Uh, I never had a Coco 2. I went straight from Coco 1 to Coco 3 um, when it came out. And so I got it, and it was like, and then OS9 level two came out and it was like, oh my God, this is even better. <laughs> and then we got some uh, SWTP uh, computers in at NASA that was running 6809, uh, OS9 level two. <clears throat> and uh, one of the packages that came with it was the C C pro uh, C compiler. So uh, <clears throat> I borrowed a copy and uh, distributed backups, I think we call them. Yeah, and got that running on my color computer three, and it was like, again, oh my god, <laughs> this is engineer's dream. So I showed this off to some other engineers, and. They were totally impressed, and the next thing we knew, we had the NASA Color Computer Club. We, we probably had 150 members, and every one of them were in, either engineers or technicians. Um, and we believed in that gray area that uh, if the club bought the software, then everybody could use the software. And uh, we had a huge, I mean, an absolutely huge library of Cocoa software. I mean, everything. We was grounds uh, Rainbow and Magazine and and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Cocoa Max or something. There was another uh, popular magazine started with Cocoa. Anyway, we were scrounged through all of those Hot until, 
Hot cocoa. That was it. Hot yeah, cocoa. Or Color Computer News, Color Computer Magazine. There's a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. We were scrounging through all of those looking for uh, uh, software that we didn't have in the library. And we and when we found it, we immediately bought a copy for our library. And uh, so it was great. And then uh, I saw an ad for the MM1. And this was like, oh, okay. Because uh, while the SWTP OS9 level two uh, computers that we had were doing great, we bought a, I can't remember the brand of it, but it was a 68,010 processor and it ran uh, uh, what we call OSK, which was the uh, 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 16, I guess we call it 16, 32 bit uh, uh, OS9. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was OS9 slash 68,000, I think was their official name in microware, but yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so we had, we had a, well, couple of those in-house at NASA, and those were really, really nice. So when I heard about the OS, uh, the uh, uh, ML1, uh, I quickly got a hold of, I can't remember the guy who was building, uh, selling them, selling oh, the kits. Yeah, got a hold of him and talked with him. And uh, in fact, uh, the MM1 I bought was one of the first MM1s that he sold with the uh, 8 meg board uh, on it, which was uh, a huge memory at the time. Uh, so I got it and later on upgraded to MM1B by swapping out the processor with the, the one that uh, um, to, I can't remember the name of the processor. Anyway, uh, but then I kind of see my retired from NASA uh, and went into government contract, uh, government contracts for a while and moved to uh, Roanoke, Virginia. And when I moved to Roanoke, Virginia, uh, for some reason, I decided to uh, not take the cocoa and the M and, and the MM1 with me. So I made a deal with um, um, oh shoot, Dave Kelly, who just passed away here uh, recently. Made a deal with him, and he took possession of my cocoa three and the MM1 and all the software I had. And uh, so from that point on, I was pretty much out of the, out of the cocoa deal until I ran across VCC uh, 1.0 and it was like, whoa, whoa, I can get back <laughs> to cocoa again. And now the new version of uh, VCC is so much improved that it's really got me back hooked into writing Cocoa software. So uh, I decided to take 
I had way, way back on, on the Coco 3, I had written two game, two basic games, one called Dungeons and the other called Dungeons 2. Um, and the du Dungeons could be run on a Coco 1 or Coco 2, but uh, only Dungeons 3 could run on a Coco 3. Uh, it couldn't the Dungeons 2 couldn't run on the first two. So uh, I decided that I was going to, uh, when uh, Ease of Use, oh, uh, Nitrous 09 came out, I uh, got that all set up on VCC and decided that I'm going to port my old basic game, Dungeons, over to Oris 9C. And Boy, has that been fun trying to uh, relearn the old C and uh, having to put, put up with the constraints of the uh, memory and everything on a, on a Coco 3 has been a, a challenge. But I have worked through the a lot of the problems and uh, I now have a uh, uh, the beginnings of the the new dungeons program of running under uh, OS nine level two or Nitrous O nine under EOU, mm -hmm. and uh, with a lot of help from Curtis and a lot of help from a couple other people on Facebook, uh, uh, I finally got it to the point where I could demo it now, at least part of the, at least the character generator part. So that's where I'm at right now. So um, I'm going to try and share the my screen. Okay. I have the emulator running on. I don't know if I can do that or not. I'll see if I can. Yes. You should be able to see. zoom. There's a share screen, and then it lets you pick by program window as opposed to the whole screen. Okay, I'll click share screen, and it says you cannot start screen share while the other participants okay. is sharing. I stopped. Go ahead. Try it yeah, one try more time. Okay. All right. There's can you see the, uh, can you see the uh, VCC screen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see H1 Dungeons is your current directory. Okay. Here's what the directory looks like. Uh, I need to get rid of that dungeons.c.o. That's a, that's a really old, old version. So I need to really get rid of that. But anyway, um, with help, I decided that I was going to have to uh, break the game up into various modules. Um, because I kept running in, uh, if I try to do it in one C module, I kept running into linker errors. It would say minus 123 unresolved, minus 124 un uh, unresolved. And I finally figured out that uh, if your module gets over a certain size, the linker has a problem with it. <laughs> so I start, I had started breaking it up and everything. So um, basically you have, I don't know if you can see the cursor, 
by the arrow. Yep, we can see your mouse cursor. Character generator, dungeons.c, and miscellaneous.c. And I'm compiling everything under a make file, um, which kind of makes it nice. So I'm going to fire off the game because I've got it all uh, compiled. Boom. So here's what it uh, here's what it is right now. Uh, on the final version, uh, the first time, the very first time that you fire this game up, all you're going to get is press one to create a character and cue to exit game. You won't have the two and uh, the two uh, the enter the two to enter the game, and there will be a three and four whatever uh, one another uh, selection will be to go look at your character sheet, and a, a, uh, another one will be save game, load game, etc. But the first time you fire this up. It'll come up with just one, uh, select one or select Q. So we're going to create a character. So we'll select one. And the first thing under Dungeons and Dragons Revision 5, I'm using uh, the re, uh, Dungeons and Dragons Revision 5 rules for creating a character. So uh, these are the nine uh, race races that you can uh, use. So I'm going to select Elf, two for Elf. And then it clears the screen and comes up and says, select your class. And I'm going to go for Fighter. Since my Elf is a very uh, good fighter. And then you collect your background. Uh, and I'm going to make him a noble. And then it uh, asks for you to enter your name, a maximum of 20 characters. Here's why I had another little problem, because I had to create my own text parser, uh, keyboard parser. And with the help of um, some uh, some some uh, people on the, um, the, the uh, ELU channel on the Facebook. Just, mm -hmm. I got this working. So I'm going to enter my name. It's going to be Conan the, uh, the Nerd. And that brings us up to calculating our stats. And uh, the original game. I had wrote you could you could retry as many times as you wanted. I decided that, that was that was not a good thing to do. So here, I've got it set that you can only retry three times. So I really don't like that. So I'll hit R for retry, and that's that's pretty good. What you're seeing is that it shows your that your level one shows uh, your one, two, three, four, five, your five different uh, categories, strength, de dexterity, uh, constitution, et cetera, et cetera. The, the next column is your base uh, stats for that. 
the next column after that, the next column is your bonus. And I guess I need to go back and uh, put, you know, stat here, base, bonus, you know, but those are minor details. Anyway, so here we get strength gets uh, a minus three, which kind of puts it at zero. So maybe we ought to try to R again. Uh, that's even worse. <laughs> well, that's okay. Anyway, so once you get all that, um, you hit continue, and it comes up with uh, the character stats screen. And it says to your race is elf, your class is fighter, your background is noble, your name is Conan the Nerd, you're level one, and here are your stats. Uh, if you, uh, and, and the way that I'm going to set the game up is that when you hit C to return, it will grab all this data and store it to a file on the floppy disk or, or hard drive if you're running it on the VCC or whatever, uh, so that it's stored. Uh, and then when you hit C, takes you back to the main screen uh, and the final version, you'll get the other, uh, the other one, two, three, four, five, six in the quit uh, menu. And so that's it for right now. I mean, that's, uh, it's been a huge learning curve to get to this point. So, um, so questions, comments, criticisms, whatever. <laughs> complaints, threats. Yeah, complaints. <laughs> uh, anything? Uh, uh, do we, do Curtis? Do you are you aware of the original game? No, I'd never seen the original game. I, I, she's talked about it to me a little bit you know, during the Discord chats and stuff, but I'd, I'd not seen the original. Uh, the original, I think, has. Uh, I put it out, but it may have gotten lost in the ether. Uh, I would say both Dungeons and Dungeons 2 both probably got lost in the ether so, somewhere along the line. Um, so, uh, hey, Joanne, I got a question. I, only, I, did, I did sell it for a while. Uh, I made a few coins. I sold it at Cocoa Fest. Um, Made a few coins, but you know, I didn't didn't do any kind of elaborate type uh, advertising or anything. Joanne, do you have any pictures of the um, time that you were in the group with NASA? You don't want to see those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be cool. That, all, that all was Ron's a huge space cocos. nerd in case you don't know. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a different time uh and a different person. And you don't want to see those pictures. I'm sorry. Uh I had the that dilemma with uh one of the episodes of Ancient Aliens. They wanted to we were doing an episode on, on Apollo 17, and they wanted to show me, they wanted to show people. A picture from way back then 
and we found a picture that uh, I was in, but you we didn't uh, we didn't point out who in the picture was me <laughs> because, uh, like I said, I was a different person, uh, complete completely different person, and. Uh, uh, they understood the, the the studio understands that, and uh, so uh, uh, I may find I may see if I can find that pit that particular picture, and I will uh, post it. And, uh, I will show it out show that picture the next time and let y'all try to figure out which is who I uh, which creature is me, which person in the picture is me. So. Uh, uh, I have a question on the game itself here. Is it is it a completely text-based game one like your the final version of the game or do you have some graphics in it too or No, it's going to be uh it's uh, what I want to do on dungeons. Now dungeons too, I might try to do some graphics, but with just dungeons this is going to be just a, a straight port from the text basic game to to uh OS9C. Okay. This is more. Uh, I'm doing this it's more of a as a combination learning curve and um, a port combination. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you you've been out of the cocoa for probably close to 20 years, so, I mean, that's that's a lot to relearn again. Especially like you mentioned before, you kind of got used to modern C, where you can you know memory's not a constraint, and then you have to go back to K and R C and try to cram everything in a 64K workspace. So, yeah, it's a bit of a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you consider, you know, I'm having to break this up in the different modules because uh, I, I guess I need to talk to Deke about this. But if I make a like uh, character generator is almost 300 lines of code, C code. And I have found that that's just about the limit that you can put in a particular .c code. It's about 300 lines because then, for some reason, Arlink gets all squirrely and starts saying, uh, posting minus 124 unresolved, minus 123 unresolved. I have no idea what those, what it's those, that error is. But yeah, I, it's not a standard OS9 error, so it must be an internal one to the C compiler itself. But yeah, that would be a Deke slash Jeff question to ask because I, I couldn't. Right. Really I mean, guess. it's it. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that it's just I'm trying to put too much code in a particular module, and I have to keep it uh, below a certain number of lines, basically. I think otherwise, it uh, it just it hic uh, Arlene hiccups and has a big big problem with it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeff's uh, just very active in our Discord, and of course, he he does updates to DCC. He's done a few here. In fact, I think the six point one EOU release in April will have some updates from him on there too. Yeah, so maybe if you guys can like, get together and try to figure out some of these issues, we can either document them if they're not fixable, or maybe there's some fix to to get around some of this problem. Yeah, it's like uh, I found this. I was talking to Deke uh, uh, it on uh, the Discord uh, deal the other day, first time I got to talk to Deke, and mentioned to him that uh, 
if you, you know, how would you re, uh, redirect the output to a local directory because it seems to be hard coded to putting your final into slash dd slash cmds and he finally he finally told me how to do that how to do that how to redirect it the final into a local uh into my local cmds over here uh but um uh he did he did and then i also found a couple of bugs that he didn't realize were there and so he took note of those so you know it's been a two-way street yeah i just want to mention a, from the chat room here frederick uh, provancia who's actually the person who did our new control panel that's in eou he mentions great job so far i'm also learning how to program and see on the coco right now i'm actually working on a program right now while listening to coco talk so yeah and uh, it's just uh, getting to be interesting. One thing now, the one thing that I need to figure out is um, let me do this. Okay, you can see the main struct there called character. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, I need to figure out how to how to let the the other modules like um, like dungeons.c and and miscellaneous.c get access to this uh, struct because right now the only module that can really see this struct and use it is character generator.c but I know that as I start flushing out this uh, the program, that the other modules are going to need to build to get access to the data in in struct character. Uh, now, do you just need the structure in these other modules when you compile, or do you actually need the data in them passed between them modules? Well, uh, I probably I'm going to be need to be able to access the data. Uh, inside the struct from other modules and pass data back and forth. Read data from the strut and then up maybe uh, even update the strut, uh, such as uh, level. You know, as you as you advance through the game, once you hit a certain number of experience points, then you jump to level two. Well, I want to be able to update the level in the, in the strut to level two, but it may be from a different module, not character generator.c. Yeah, there's probably there's, a couple different ways. I don't want to get too much on technical discussion because that, that's a bit beyond the scope of this. Yeah, this someone segment. suggested about putting this in a dot, dot .h file and then loading that dot .h file in every, every module. Yeah, which is why I, I was asking because that that would that would give you the structure in each one, but that wouldn't pass the data between them automatically. You'd have to pass yeah, it as a parameter right. or a pointer, and you have a module link another module. There's a few different ways to do it, but I'll I'll let the C experts kind of <laughs> tell you yeah. how to do that. Yeah, so that that's going to be that's going to be a uh, that's a, a problem I need to solve. Um, but uh, it's uh. It's coming along. 
I mean, it, it's gotten a lot farther, a lot faster than I, I thought I would. <laughs> so, um, um, so. Well, that's great. Um, if you do want to come back I, when I you've, before. if you want to come back when you've worked out the code, we do have a segment called Core Dump where we could actually go through that. Um, you know, when you've when you've uh, figured out what what's uh, what you want to update in the code. Mikey did have some uh, suggestions in the chat. Um, you know, uh, related to that code, which I don't understand yeah. because I don't, I don't know. C. Right. How do I get back? How do I get back to the uh, get get this back to the other way? Sure. You want to just stop, uh, click on share screen and and then stop sharing. I think you can just um, do it that way. Where is that? Um, down on the Zoom. Let me see. I might be able to. Oh, there you go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I could have. Uh, there grabbed, you go. I could have grabbed it back, but you already took care of it. Great. Well, any uh, yeah, any other qu questions or um, keep us posted, Joanne. I hope you'll come back and um, you know come on join the panel whenever you would like to, whether you have updates or not um, on the game. But it, yeah, but it's... I, I plan to uh, you know I plan to kind of be semi regular here uh, because this is a great place to you know, bounce ideas and stuff around. And uh, uh, because, you know, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, and our Discord's really good have, for that too. We have a lot of expertise in the Discord. So for various languages, yeah, for various- Some, some of y'all have the answers, you know, and I don't. And so uh, to be able to bounce the questions around and pick some pe people's brains, you know, that, that will work. So, um, it's uh, you know, and then as it's start as I start to flush things out, uh, then you know I like to come back and re demo it and show show the newer features and stuff, you know. It'll be interesting to watch this grow. Yeah, yeah, and well, then finally when it's you know, pretty much ready to to play, then what I, I plan to do is. Uh, make a dot DSK file and put everything on that dot DSK file, and um, uh, or like you know put the program on there, the compiled program and uh, everything, and then you run it from you load it as a you know as slash D one or slash D two and uh, run it from there. Or copied over to your hard drive and run it, and um, yeah, and start playing it and start. Let me know whether it's you know, oh, oh, this don't work, or oh, that's that's, <laughs> that, you know, this thing just just totally crashed on me, and I had to, you know, uh, <clears throat> fire that uh, back. Uh, copy over a back, uh, backup file to get uh, Nitrous 09 running again <laughs> or something, you know. Okay, well, once you got it done, I mean, if, if you want to, we can even include it in ease of use because we've been, you know, taking quite a few third-party programs that were have been developed in recent times 
And if the authors want, we can include it on the next releases. So it's just, you know, it's already there. There's an icon to launch it from G shell if you want and everything else too. So that's an option as well later on. Yep. Uh, yep. That'd be interesting, but uh, it's, it's, it's not nowhere close to prime for prime time yet. Yeah. Yeah. Joanne, are you going to get um, an actual Coco three in the future? Oh God, I can't, I would love to have one. It's just that there, I can't afford the prices of, of, of a Cocoa 3. I mean, they're just too exorbitant right now. Well, keep an yeah. eye out. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, might get lucky, I, but yeah, they are there. The prices prices, I've been seeing prices like, you know, three and $400 for Cocoa 3, and it's like, damn, that's what they were <laughs> brand new back in, in, in right. the late 1980s. Well, you got a CM8 with it for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can buy. I can buy a. Uh, I mean, a, a super duper Windows 10 uh, computer with an I, you know high end i7 for you know two hundred fifty dollars. I mean, geez. Well, I will. What I will you do know, for a retro computer. True. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, it is a very expensive. But now the thing is, is that, yeah, the thing is, is that I would, if I if I did come across a Coco three, I can afford, I would probably buy the uh, uh, module that will take the RGB output and eventually convert it into a HDMI output so that I could feed it into my HDMI switch. And uh, when I want, want to work on the Cocoa, uh, it will you, you know, use that the HDMI monitor instead of the old uh, RGB monitor. Okay, well, I'm, I'm emailing you a couple of the C suggestions from the chat so that you have that. Um, okay, from my, my, Mikey and Henry uh, Gerhardt, so, uh, so we'll uh, hope to hear more from you on this. All the, all the, all the help I can get. <laughs> yeah, and you're doing doing good works, uh, uncovering bugs in the in the the compilers and all sorts of things. So thank you for everything you're doing with this project, and definitely come back. And of course, hope you'll stay. We've got a lot of news to cover, uh, which is why I'm segueing as quickly I did, as I. I did Yes, I didn't. Uh, the last time I was up on the EOQ uh, website, I was totally surprised to find my my name mentioned in there. I it was like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll, I I did discover a little bug in one of the .dot h files and uh, uh, fixed the bug, and it was like uh, I didn't think it was a big deal, but someone who thought it was gave me a mention so I try, was... I try to give credit to anybody who finds bugs in any of use because that's one of nick's Morenti's favorite things to do is to report bugs of microstein to me yeah <laughs> or your icons and need redesigning or whatever you know well uh we will right we'll take a break crikey indeed as i think of the news segment coming up but uh buckle up folks we've got to be game on news first and then followed by the regular news so oh we've got game on news <laughs> Okay. Yep. Um, okay. <laughs> well, we'll be right back with Game On News. Let's uh, 
Let's play a proper commercial. None of that Deck B stuff. Here we go. And now, this message. Hi, it's Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Jack crew of people. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Noble, co-author of Nitrous 9. You are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk show. Good day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use. I find OS9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual. And yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Hi, this is Max Jackson, live from Coco Fest. And you listen to the real game, Steve Shrove. We're traveling through a dimension both of sound and ideas. We're at a place where the mind can comprehend and devise a solar radio, a wireless transmitter, measure time and light. 65 electronic projects brought to reality with this science fair kit. Astonishing, perhaps. But you can find it for Christmas for $17.95 in a place that's known as Radio Shack. Radios, stereos, recorders, everything in sound. A whole new approach. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hi, this is Sean Wheatley, and you're listening to Coco Talk with the original gamer, Stevie Strip. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Boyle. A Muppet News Flash. Curtis Boyle, the floor is yours. Yep, just waiting for the sharing to stop so I can. Oh, it is off.
Okay, so this is a catch-up week because we had our 200th episode last week, so there's a, a bit more news than, than normal. Um, so I'm going to try to go through it fairly quickly here, well, you know, given how many stories there are. Anyway. <laughs> so we're going to do Game On news first because we just came out of the Game On segment, so this will be a couple weeks catch-up on Game On news. So first up, we've got a bunch of stuff from Jim Garys. So he's uh, been posting a bunch of things that we mentioned a couple weeks ago. He's been you know, making entries for the 10-line or basic programming contest. And of course, he does his normal stuff. He's been fiddling around with the compiler as well. We're also trying to organize a group interview with Jim and some of the other people that have been kind of pushing the MC10 boundaries, both hardware and software-wise, to have a, like a special MC10 episode of Coca Talk in the future. Jim's verified that he will be able to do it. Um, so now we're just waiting for the answers from some of the other people involved, and like Greg Dion and, and Darren Atkinson, et cetera, and to see if we can get everybody's schedules to sync up to do a, a special episode. We'll try to make an announcement you know, a few weeks ahead of time so everybody knows that's coming up. So it'll be a catch-up, plus maybe you know, future plans, et cetera, as well. So the first one I've got here is Flooded, which is written by Darren Atkinson, of course, who designed the Coco SDC and, and you know, the MCX32 and some of the other hardware for the MC10 as well. So this is a version of Flooded. Now, you've seen the Coco cartridge of it before. So this is a version that he did, which is a mixture of 68803, a semi-language, and a basic. So it runs at a pretty decent clip. So uh, Jim put up a video of, of that particular version here. And, and you know, so you know, fill in the colors and try to solve it as you know a minimum number of moves type thing. And then I'll kind of along the same lines, he actually did Coloroid. Now this is one that Jim did in Pure Basic, and it was quite a bit slower. And he actually to to get the speed of the game up, he actually shrunk the play field down to get it to you know run at a quicker pace. And this is one where he's done it compiled now, using that new compiler by Greg Dion. So it. Uh, it's still not as fast as the assembly language version that, that Darren did, but it's definitely a lot faster than it was, probably two to three times faster so you can actually play. And it actually, as you go through levels, the maze will expand to different sizes, et cetera, as you're playing. But written purely in basic and then compiled. So yet another you know, proof that the compiler's coming along pretty well. And I think Jim's probably got about half a dozen games or maybe even a dozen by now that have been converted over or recompiled with the compiler from basic. This is Alpha Force, which we just demoed. It's a fairly recent game. It's kind of a clone of Targ from the arcade, if you guys remember Targ. And this is the compiled version of that. So this is running about, you know, twice to three times faster than the original version as well. Now, if you guys remember the from a few weeks back when we demoed the basic version, it was a fair bit. So this is one actually got one of the biggest boosts. And of course, he does all the color changes and everything else as he goes through too, so. And all of these are available for download at Jim's site. He's actually got a section in his site now devoted to compiled games. And as you, you know, gets the as the compiler gets built up and can handle the different situations that Jim puts his basic programs through, you'll see more and more of these compiled versions coming out. So if there's some old games you've tried in the MC10, you, you like the game concept, but maybe it's just running a little bit too slow and you didn't want to play it for that reason, that problem will be solved soon. And then this is his basic 10-liner uh, entry for these past few weeks called Asteroid Field. And he actually has a listing here. You can see it goes up to line 10. So basically you have to steer your, your moving dot through the asteroid field without hitting anything from the bottom to the top. So a simple game, but you know, with 10 lines of basic code, and he's not doing one of the uh, pack everything onto a line 256 characters long that, you know, is part of the competition, depending what which uh, level you want to do it at. He's doing one of the ones 80 characters and less uh, per line. So it's a small program that does the game. 
Next up, this actually came out um, before last episode, but of course we had the special, so we didn't get a chance to do anything with it. But Jamie Cho has put out a game. It's not done yet, uh, but it's it's called Space Band. It's a Space Invaders type game, but he's using the um, library that Richard, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last, last name right here, Godekin? Dynasprite Library. But the Dynasprite Library has been out since 20... Nick Marinis, do you remember? Is it 2014? Somewhere around there? It's been out a oh. while, at any rate. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, and he's done some like the 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 library came with some demos, you know, show, showing hardware scrolling and multi-voice music in the background, digitized sound effects, sprites that are overlapping each other and going all over the place. It's a very impressive engine, but somebody has to take the time to learn this whole library and how it works, and then write some code to call it. And um, Jamie, I think, is the first one actually to take him up on this type of thing. So this is a screenshot here, and it's like a sixteen-color third, you know, a Coco Three game. Um, He's actually got animations on the character, like your spaceship actually like flips a little bit as you're moving left to right. It's not just the static one, like the original Space Invaders. So he's actually got the uh, download here. You can get it here. And he's actually made a Mac OS version of the same game using some of the same uh, assets as well. So he's actually recompiled it for that as well. So if you have a Mac, you can try the Mac version. And if you have a Coco, you can try the Coco 3 version. And if you have a Coco 3 emulator like VCC, OVCC, or MAME, you can play it there too. So you have a couple of different options for doing it. And then uh, is that the Curtis? Yeah. Curtis is that the uh, Mac screen or the Coco screen? That's the Coco screen. Impressive. Yeah, it is. And now I've actually there was a video released a little bit later. Now this is on the uh, Mister. So uh, Frodo, who's in the chat here, can give it a try too if you wanted to. So I will play a little bit of here so you can kind of get an idea for the gameplay and also the loading screens and stuff because he actually got a little bit fancy. And it runs off floppy. You don't need a hard drive or anything like that for it. But, and you've got options for uh, joystick, keyboard controls, RGB or composite monitor. You can do sound internally or the Orchestra 90. I didn't get a chance to try to see if it actually has full stereo sound or not. That middle menu that popped up in the upper left corner, that's part of the mister. That's not part of the game itself. So. Yeah, I thought that the uh, the size of the laser beam was an interesting design choice. Uh, I wonder why he went with such a long a, a long vertical beam there. <laughs> That's Jamie. I have no idea. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Bo? <clears throat> hey, you know what they say about the size of the beam? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it it just could be because it looks cool. I, yeah, I it looks know. cool. It's very visually striking and actually really comes out. It's not just a little tiny dot or squeaky yeah, line. Yeah, that's true. Like that's true. But I like the animations he's done. Like the the aliens have decent animations, and your 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 ship actually flipping and stuff. That's actually you know, it's probably the most advanced looking Coco Three Space Invaders I've seen as far as you know the graphical presentation. And that's sorry, even including Nick Morenti's Space Intruders. Well, it's it's faster. It's kind of hard to see though, but it almost like the it's hard to tell if the if the, uh, if the alien even runs into the laser from its side that looks like it's almost being destroyed versus just you know the laser coming up to, yep yeah it's hard to tell by the gameplay but it, uh, yeah the animated like explosion is but... actually really nice too one, one thing yeah. that's, that's always bugged me about a lot of coco 3 games is that in the coco 1 2 days we didn't have a lot of ram for storing graphics for doing animation frames so basically a lot of games did you know, like you know two positions of a character maybe three or four if you're lucky but there wasn't a lot of smooth animation stuff. And on the Coco 3 with 512K especially, we have had the room for it, but not very many games have actually taken advantage of that. 
they still do the fairly simple animations. There was one by a fellow Australian of yours, Nick, that wasn't completed. Millennium, I think it was called, where he oh, actually yeah. did take the time. And he was doing a lot of things like rotating. If your ship was steering from left to right, the whole ship would just rotate in space instead of just blinking, you know, facing left, facing right type thing. And that's the type of thing I'd like to see, you know, a bit more done on the Coco 3, especially now that we've got two mega upgrades, because now you got a ton of room to put all kinds of animations in there. So. Anyway, it's a really cool looking game. Good sound effects. He said he's not done. He's, this is listed, I think, as a 0.12 version. So he's he's not even got it completed to what he wants to do. But this was the first playable version he wanted to release. Anyway, it's Boy, a free this download. Is, this is uh, pretty much arcade uh, quality right now. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the two things that really stick out to me is one he's doing these really decent animations and stuff but two he's also using the dinosprite library which is an existing public no not public domain but a free library that you can download that you can interface with your own program so you don't have to write all the sprite routines you don't have to write the digitized background sound effects that don't slow the machine down or pause it like all that stuff's already done for you all you have to do is just learn how to call them pro appropriately and then design the graphics yourself in the gameplay obviously so this is the first use of the sprite library that's actually been used besides by the original author so that's one thing I want, I'm hoping that this encourages people to take a, a second look at the library, especially if they're learning a semi language and they don't want to have to like write everything from scratch. And then they can actually, you know, make some games fairly quickly or not having to learn as much or not having to take the time to do all the individual sprite routines, etc. Sound routines. Oh, it's a really cool project. It's a free download. So go grab it. It's a link to it on Facebook. And I think if whoever, anybody's posting links, I don't know if anybody is. Um, yeah, there's a link to uh, the direct download site on there as well on his GitHub. So, next up, we have a basic game, and this is by Diego. Now, I kind of showed this before, but he made a new video now because he originally wrote this game in Basic in 1987, and then he's he's been redoing it now with some new programming techniques he's learned. It's still pure Basic. There's no ML in here. So he's redesigned some of the graphics to run a little bit faster, to look a little bit more modernized and uh, better. Um, so taking some advantages of some basic tricks, tricks for painting and stuff. So he has this video that basically it, it plays the original 1987 version, and then it'll play roughly the same scene on the 2021 version and switch back and forth between levels and intro screens and stuff to give you kind of an idea of how it's progressed since the original time. So, for example, this is drawing the original, you know, helicopter screen on the original version. And then drawing it a little bit left. And then the next one, it just loads it bang off disk and it's just like instantly there. The helicopters were being redesigned to look more sleek and modern. But you can really see like the helicopter is moving a fair bit faster than, than the original version did. And a little less ripply. Also, he's taking advantage of a poke you can change the paint pattern to not just be a solid color. So he's actually, you know, using paint patterns here with new vertical lines, et cetera, uh, rather than just the plain colors. So it looks more diverse as well. And I won't play the whole thing. It's a, it's a five minute video, but it's, it definitely shows, you know, some progress that he's made in the last 20, what is that? 25 years, roughly since the original version. And that's something else. I mean, it's kind of like what Joanne's doing, revisiting a program they wrote years and years ago. And then bringing it either to a new operating, more modern operating system or bringing it, you know, just forward in general and adding features, et cetera, type thing. So it, it's a project that I, you know, if I'd written more games back in the day, I might actually consider doing that myself. But uh, I didn't write too many games. So. <laughs> and they, uh, I don't know what? if they're really worth the effort. 
one of the things I've, I've been finding is that, uh, you know, newer techniques of doing things compared to the way we did it in basic, uh, um, you know, new improvements and incorporating those in the, um, uh, in the port, you know, and that's, that's where the, to me, the fun part's at. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lot of fun revisiting. I mean, even, even, uh, Nick Mirandes, he's, he's kind of revisited some of his older games. Like he did Neutroid and then he did an update mainly to get it to run Nikola three, but I mean, he's even revisited some of his old stuff. And his new project is actually loosely based on some previous projects he's done, though he's making it original as well. So mashup, yeah. yeah. And plus, you're using all the new techniques you've learned over the years, like possibly using a decent, you know, real CPU and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> I should be used to convince you, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, next up, this is a new channel I'd not seen before called, and I'm not sure. Sure, I'm going to massacre the pronunciation of this because I, I don't know the language that well, but Retro Games Diversos. So this is a thing I've not heard of. Has anybody else heard of the Pocket Go? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I've heard cool. of the Pocket Go before. Okay, can you give me a bit of background? Like, is this a Japanese thing or where did this come no, from? No, this is, this is straight out of the darkest pits of China. Um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is one of the many. There's the BitBoy, the Pocket Go. Uh, these are all, you know, kind of Android-based devices that run a variety of emulators that the quality is actually not bad uh, for the price. Uh, but uh, the problem is, is that if you go on AliExpress or any of these types of sites, you'll find 87 different sellers selling the same model. And uh, you have to find the one that is the best quality. So the, the quality control varies wildly. But if you're looking to get into the portable gaming market, a device like the Pocket Go is probably the way to go. Okay. I didn't know too much about the background, but that, that kind of fits roughly what I knew. I didn't know it was from China either, but uh, it's basically running emulators, as you said. And, and in this case here, he's got the Dragon emulator running. So he fires up Arkanoid as an example. Now, I don't know if I'd want to play Arkanoid on this small of a screen. I also don't know how good the uh, the control for moving left and right, because the game itself is designed for analog joysticks. I don't know how well that would work, especially with if Arkanoid gets going at a fairly fast clip. I don't know if you can move across the screen fast enough to even catch the ball in later levels. So I don't know if this was the best one to possibly demo for this. It probably would work better with, you know, digital joystick style games like a Pac-Man or something. But actually, I mean, the screen quality looks pretty good. And it's, it's kind of nice you can carry around a portable Coco game machine or Dragon. You know, it's something that literally fits in the palm of your hand. Uh, how, does it just come with one game or can you do multiple? Uh, no, you can add your own. He's got two on this particular demo. I can't remember which the other one was he did. Androne, I think it was. Androne did and, and Arca. Apparently he's going alphabetically when he decided to do the test. But uh, Yeah, and, and the way it works is that there's an SD card somewhere in this and you just pop the SD card out and there's sub you know, there's subdirectories. You just drop your, your BIOS files and your, your ROMs or disk images or whatever into the subdirectories and away you go. Uh, this thing currently retails for $40. So, I mean, it's, it, it's quite a bargain if you're looking for you know a way to take these games on the go with you do you know what kind of a like how powerful is the cpu inside is it powerful enough to run say like you know amiga or coco 3 levels software oh absolutely i mean this thing can run all the way up to something like you know there are some dreamcast games that this thing can run can run okay so this actually i mean like coco 3 the only thing you'd be missing is a keyboard i'd be good for playing games maybe not for development or something but yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, you know the big thing that can't be undersold is the fact that the screen is just so tiny with something like this anything that's you know that that's that's small is going to be a strain on the eyes yeah you want a pretty pretty 
course game, I guess. Does anybody know what what's the size of the screen? I mean, is it? Um, if I'm looking about it's, here, right. I'd say about one thumb wide by three uh, thumbs tall. It's it's a two and a half inch, two and a half inch screen, pretty yeah. small. I know, pixel wise, pixel wise. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would assume at least a six forty by four eighty to cover some of the. This is uh, no, it's a three twenty by two forty. Oh, okay, so it's, yeah. it's the old NTSC res, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they oh, they okay. do that on purpose because most of the people are going to be playing, you know, NES simulators and stuff like this on this thing. Okay. Okay. Or it, so that that puts it closer to a uh, Coco uh, uh, video screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Atari eight bit or Commodore sixty four. There's the, all those are emulated on here too as well. This just happened to demo of the Dragon, which is why I picked it. So theoretically, you could, oh, you could download uh, color, uh, the color uh, Coco 3 ROMs to it, and it would yep. fire up as a Coco 3. Yep, as long as the emulator runs properly on it. Like, there's an OVCC, oh. which is an open source version of VCC that uh, probably would run on a fine, I would imagine. Yeah, if it's using XROR, it's not going to uh, work with the Coco 3. But Yeah, that particular one was demoing XROR, but, I mean, you can switch which or which uh, emulators you have on there. You're not restricted to just a specific one. Curtis, send me a, a, a link to where these things are at, and uh, I might buy one just to play around with it. Well, I'll tell you right now, for those people that don't know, on, on our Discord, we actually have a channel where I post the links for every single news story we do every week. Yep. And you can oh, just download okay. the text file. It's got all the links, the descriptions, and everything else. If you want to backtrack through shows to find them, you can get them there too, and it's uh, what's the name of the channel, Rob? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I will something? tell you in a second, but uh, but definitely, Joanne, it's called the uh, News Summaries. News. Oh, summaries. Okay. okay. Yeah, and I, I I'll can go. Put, I'll go up on this story, find it, and that's it's open it. for everyone in the Discord. So if anybody you know, so uh, what did he talk about on the show two months ago? You can go find it because we actually have the names. Uh, the name of the file is dated by the date of the released episode, so you can actually find it and the episode number. So you can find it fairly quickly. Yep. I mean, for forty bucks, I mean, it's you know, it's something, it, it, it's it, inexpensive enough that you can you know play with and and check out and you know, who knows? Maybe even port some games to it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yep. Well, you were mentioning before you like how expensive Coco Three real ones are these days. So this might be a solution for you. <laughs> Minus keyboard, of course. So yeah, next the, up, this is a channel I'd not... Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You, you mentioned OVCC, which may run on it, because VCC, of course, is, is Windows only. Which, Windows only, yeah. That's why yeah. I suggested OVCC, because yeah. it actually is cross-platform Yeah, go and ahead. open source. Sorry. Okay, so next up, this is a channel I'd not seen on YouTube before, though apparently they have done some Dragon Coco stuff months ago uh, that I somehow missed at the time. But they just did a batch of, of uh, Dragon games again. Um, the title of the channel is called LRU's Outrageous Gaming Project, and he tends to do, you know, longer plays, and he actually keeps track of how far he got in the game, like you see in the title series, score 11, 10, screen 2, so he kind of explains how far he got, and I mean, most of these we've seen before, so I'm not going to bother playing them, but he's got some stuff that I had not seen very often, like Red Minis, which is kind of a 3D Pac-Man, for example. Um, What's up? Fingers. Fingers? Where are you looking? Second one. Um, it's kind of a platformer. I can play a little bit of that one. Oh. Looks uh, all right for a. Hmm. Uh oh. That's how to die quickly. 
I guess you're not supposed to run into the people. <laughs> skip forward to here to some actual gameplay. Anyway, it seems to be going through a batch of Dragon games just starting literally this past week. So if he keeps that up, I'll uh, I'll keep updating. And if we see anything interesting we haven't seen before, um, then we can take a look at them. All right. But I like, for example, Star Suit, we showed this probably about half a year, a year ago. It's one of the semi-graphic space shooters that we didn't see much of in, in North America. And because this is running on an emulator, the, the screen quality was a lot better than the original version we, we showed, which was actually off a TV screen. This is one where it does the stars by using the period symbol from the semi-graphics 24 mode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing we've talked about before is that the dragons seem to use the semi-graphics mode, probably because they didn't have NTSC artifacting like we did, but they used it a lot more than we did. So the innovations in that particular graphic space on the Coco was definitely more in the UK than it was anywhere else in the world. And it's a pretty cool channel, and he's got some pretty cool games in there. So go check him out. And the last of the game on news, uh, Gwyn Major, who's of course the person that runs the Color Computer Archive and is also the person that ported the entire AGI Sierra game library to the Coco, uh, found a new um, game, one of the homebrews. Now it's one of those ones that's not complete, but he's ported this one over and it's available for download. I'll also be throwing it on the Ease of Use 6.1 when it comes out in April as well. He said this one actually had a lot of promise to it. It looked really good as far as like he has a, the game has a long intro. I'll just play a little bit in the background here. Maybe but it looked like a pretty interesting concept it almost reminds me a bit of like space 1999 type thing and of course he's patched uh, the engine now so you can break out of these sound routines without having to listen to an entire theme now i knew I know that there is some editors for doing AGI-based games on the old AGI engine available for PCs and stuff where you can actually create your own game. Has anybody here on the panel played with that to see if they could write their own game for the Google 3? Hi, Hi everybody. <laughs> no, I... Um... No, do you want to no. explain how that's possible? The fact that uh, Sierra Online you know, actually did port King's Quest Three and um, Leisure Suit Larry to the to the Coco Three, and that's I don't yeah. Know. I mean, they were just they they port their engine because they have this main underlying engine uh, that is basically means you have they have a common scripting language that they use for all the various machines. Now they've got newer ones since the version that's on the Coco Three, which is an earlier version of it. But uh, basically, it had its own assets for you know layered graphics and sprites and the storyline and everything else. And some people have come up with third-party solutions since that engine is no longer used and hasn't been used for a long, long time, so that you can actually create your own. You can create your own graphics, create your own game type thing. And there's been a few that are on ease of use right now mm -hmm. that actually, uh, you know, demonstrate what that engine is capable of. That are completely homemade and have nothing to do with here at all, except for the engine itself. And this this is one of those. Unfortunately, an, an incomplete one, which is a few of those. There's a few of the completed ones too. We've got on ease of use too. So. Like I said, I'll be adding this one onto the next version of Adventure Stein, ease of use. But uh, 
I do just be interesting for some of the people that are more creative with creating adventure games than I am. If they maybe take a look at the, like I said, there's some freely available downloadable engine ed- or not engine, but uh, AGI editors to create these games and create your own 16 color graphics for it, et cetera. And somebody could actually could write a new brand new AGI based Coco three game. I could see it'd be br- kind of interesting to do that. A Bruce Moore getting into this. Yes, like. that yeah, he sees one I was thinking of, or or Joanne because she's you know doing an adventure mm-hmm. style Dungeons and Dragons game too. That might be something to, to take a look at at some point. Anyway, yeah, it looks, inter- looks interesting. It it it's uh, something I'll keep it. I definitely will keep uh, in mind for maybe you know later on. Uh, also, I'm uh, thinking about maybe you know. Once I get things uh, working and stuff, maybe moving it over to multi-view and using graphics, the graphics there. Yeah, we've done a lot of optimizations on that in, in, in Nitro Sinees of use. So, I mean, it's it's a lot faster doing that kind of stuff than it used to be. We as in I. <laughs> Bill, Bill's helped with some of that too. Oh, I... <laughs> It's not. It's not. It's not just me doing ease of use. So, and now we've got you know like Jeff's working on the C compiler, and yeah. Fred's been doing like the new control panel, and um, Todd Wallace has done several utilities we've got on there, like for playing OPL three files, and and I've some stuff we'll be getting in the can. news here soon. Go ahead. I've done the trash can. Yeah. Yeah. We've moved way beyond <laughs> the trash can. At this point. That's that's old news now. What have you done for us lately, Nick? Is the question. <laughs> Next what time is it down down under? Uh, right now it's uh, seven o'clock. Seven o'clock in the morning. Seven a.m. <laughs> Tomorrow, Sunday. Right? Sun- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah. Living future. in the future, he is. <laughs> hey, that was the end of the. Good. Yeah. So that was the end of the game on news segment. Uh, so we're just going on to the regular news. Let's yeah. do it. Go go. So unless you need a break. Do you, you want a commercial break, Spacer? Oh, I'm fine. Now nah, we that was a pretty quick segment, so I can, All right. can jump right in. Regular news. Yeah. Now there's a ton of this, so this will take a while. Okay, so first up, we've got Erico posted this, and uh, this is Daniel Campos, and I think he's actually been on the show before. I know he's been occasionally in a chat, and he's fairly active on Facebook. So this is a video showing a, a rare Coco One clone from Brazil, called the LZ Color Sixty Four. Uh, so he mentions it a bit about here, and then I'll just go on to the video he actually put up. And you can see it actually looks like a cocoa there, except it's got a flat matte paint. It's not like the shiny paint. The keyboard's a little bit different, and he'll show you a little bit of a preview. I won't play the whole video here, but... If anybody wants to translate, feel free. Kind of like some cocoa, too. Now, you notice a couple differences. The keyboard has a different different keys. The brake key is a lot wider, for example. The layout's roughly the same, but uh, there's a few keys labeled differently. The uh, color logo thing is, is quite different. There's no cartridge slot on the right, so I don't know where the cartridge slot on this thing is from that, that picture there. So he goes, kind of goes through. I think he said it was on the back. Sorry, what? I think he said it was on the back when I was reading the article. Yeah, well, it goes into it and takes it apart, so we'll, we'll see there. Uh, let's see, there we go. Hmm. You also notice that the TV yeah, see, there, there's the port on the back, right, uh, right underneath the... Uh, the, the ribbon cable. Yeah. yeah, the ribbon cable. There's the port. 
and you notice there's no RF out the, the, the TV channel. I don't know if that's is that CCAM or PAL or something. I'm not sure exactly what it is. CCAM uh, was, was used primarily in Brazil. Brazil. And this is Brazil, so that's probably what it is then. Yeah. So he actually opens it up too, so you can kind of see the inside. Anyway, so a pretty interesting bit of history because, like, like as mentioned, it was fairly rare in Brazil, apparently, even unto itself. And uh, I'm not, not sure how many are still around these days. So, actually, getting a close-up look for it if you're interested in some of the alternative cocos that have been throughout the history. And of course, Brazil had those really loose rules on copyright, so basically, they basically could clone anything they wanted to, and it was legal within Brazil. So, uh, it's, it's interesting that all the the CPU, uh, all the uh, chips are socketed. Well, the original Coco did that too, like the Coco One level machines. It was it wasn't until later that Tandy got super cheap and decided to eliminate every socket they could. Now, that's a soldering nightmare I wouldn't want to do. Well, okay, I wouldn't oh. want to do any soldering, but. I mean, he goes through the motherboard. He goes through the connectors and stuff like that too. I, that's a, it's not in English, so I, I you, know, you can try the translation function on YouTube, or we have several you know people that speak the language in our chat and in our community on Facebook. So if anybody has any questions about it, they can probably refer to them as well. But it's pretty cool to see one of these. Everything is in English in the uh, from on the motherboard and the chips. Everything's in English, so that's not bad. Yeah, I did notice here, and I don't know if this was stock or if this was somebody fixed it up later, but they're using the Hitachi version of the uh, PIA chip here, not the Motorola one. It's an HD, which is the Hitachi version of the 6821. So that I found kind of interesting, but I don't know if that was maybe somebody just fixed it because Hitachi chips are easier to get than the original Motorola ones. Oh, it's a cool video. Check it out. Uh, next up, we had an update from Boise uh, that uh, version 1.2.1 of the DriveWire 4 server for Mac OS X was released. And mainly this was just addressing some issues with the Sparkle updater. So it doesn't have any you know, new functionality per se. It was more of a bug fix release type thing. But if you're running Mac OS server or Mac OS 10 and you're running the DriveWire server on under that, you'll want to get this update to fix that incompatibility. Yep. Next, I don't know if Canadian Retro Things is still in the chat there, if he wanted to pipe up with anything here, but... Uh, you got a, a newly acquired Coco One, which has been a bit modded by uh, the previous owner. And here is the you can Coco see One by the uh, LED now, right off the start, and the little, little switch on the uh, right hand the, side. Uh, last Coco One I got because, well, first off, and he is in the chat. This one has no good. Definitely, I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit just to show you some of the additions here, as well as a button. There's a switch and a button installed on the side. So this is definitely a hacker's machine, plus the LED. And then uh, it had some problems running. <clears throat> so he's been attempting to fix it to get it to actually work. And basically, I think from his explanation was, was the, there's an extra reset switch. So you don't have to reach around the back. The power switch has also been rerouted, so you don't have to reach around the back. And then the power and LED means you can tell at a glance it's, it's turned on. Um, but basically, it was a project to get it running and discover what all these little additions are. We've seen a couple of these handmade projects, you know, from in the past. And I do remember back in the early 80s, like in the 81 through 84 time frame, uh, in our local club anyway, we had lots of these mods. A lot of people did extra switches moving in, inverse video switches, alt to CPU switches, all kinds of things. 
And that was one thing I think that was a bit more unique to the Coco than some of the other 8-bits at the time is that we seemed to get the, the hardcore hacker crowd, probably because they were sold at Radio Shack and, you know, electronic wizards are the kinds of guys that went to Radio Shack in the first place. So that seemed to be a very now, common thing. It was kind of like uh, back when I was at NASA and uh, our NASA Coco Club, you know, being made up mostly of engineers and stuff, we figured out how to uh, take EEPROMs, multiple EEPROMs, put them on the board, plug them into the extra socket, and boom, you had, uh, you know, um, extended color basic all of, all of a sudden. Yep, yep. And we did that in our club too. <clears throat> Next up, this was kind of a, a cute one. Uh, Erico, who's of course our uh, low res graphics wizard, he's actually done some stuff with Nick and, and things too. Um, he's an excellent semi graphic. So he's done these kind of semi graphic mock ups of, of the basically the family, Coco family. So he's got, as you can see on the top, he's got the MC10 followed by the Alice below it, and then he's got the Coco 1, 2, and 3. Uh, you know, he's tweak the colors on the Coco 2 and 3 because they're basically the same color in real life and you wanted something to differentiate them more with that low of a res. Uh, I have a complaint. There's no function keys on that Coco 3. Well, you, you, should, you should mention that in the comments then and, and let them know. Two more, <laughs> two, two more pixels. Come on. So anyway, that was a pretty cool way to do it. Apparently, he's made other ones for the, the ZX81, ZX Spectrum, Apple II, MSX, and VIC-20 as well. And then Fred Ricke actually posted this little link here, which is actually boot screens for various machines. You can recognize like the Dragon slash Coco is the one on the middle row on the far left. But you can also recognize just by the color palettes alone, like which one's the VIC-20 and which one is the Commodore 64, et cetera, too. So that, it's kind of a neat neat concept to, uh, to get artwork like that working in such a low resolution and then still be able to recognize, you know, how unique these machines were to each other that you can recognize by something as low res as this, which one it's referring to. Whereas nowadays, I mean, I couldn't tell a Dell from an HP by looking at a screen. I wouldn't have the slightest foggiest <laughs> idea what the difference is. Well, well Sin Sinclair kind of stands out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next up, we got a whole suite of uh, quick little video demos here. So, so Sheldon McDonald's been busy uh, doing various things over the last few months that we've been covering. And lately he's been doing some work with the Coco VGA and he's had some help from Simon Jonasson on this. Um, so he's making a set of library routines specifically for the Coco VGA. So this is Coco 1 and 2 with you know extended graphics modes, etc. So he's got uh, some 3D perspective stuff he's got. He's got some tangent functions to do rotations, etc. And then he's got a, a function library that he added in this week, because these other ones were done the previous week, um, of doing some custom font stuff using some of these higher modes. So I'll just play them. They're fairly quick. I'll just play little snippets of each. Just kind of rotating around in the uh, 128 by 96 by 16 color mode, I think it is. With Coco VGA. And then second little demo which is actually doing a 3D rotation in space in color. We have seen, we've got some 3Ds plotting things like this for the Coco 1 and 2 that are strictly black and white, but uh, this is the first one I've seen in color. And of course, putting the Coco VJ you know, multicolor. And this one here, you can actually rotate the square using the joystick, which is kind of neat as well as rotating just around the axis along with the other shapes. So he's got joystick controls in that particular one. 
And then the last one he just uploaded this week was where he's actually got a font demo working on it now. With custom uh, character sets. And he's planning on releasing these libraries with documentation out so that other programmers can use it. So they want to program stuff the Coco VGA specifically without having to do all the coding themselves. Kind of like the library we showed the dinosaur before for the space game. You can use his routines here and some of the utilities he's also making at the same time and actually create your own without having to do any of the programming yourself for that and probably interface it with basic. You can do some of these kinds of effects as well. So I'm looking forward to see where that project goes because I do have a Coco VGA and I've done a little bit of stuff with it with NitroSign level one. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there we haven't tapped yet. Next up after that, we have Aaron Newcomb. Now, Aaron's been pretty active making videos, uh, doing video adaptations for the Coco and the Dragon to get them working with HDMI and, and other modern systems. And we've been covering his videos for the last month or two as he's been kind of going through the journey and he tried a composite mod, he tried a component mod, and he's you know, done various different things here and ended up with a, a Pi to do the main conversion. And then since he's also a regular guest on Twit, um, on several of the shows, he's on This Week in Google, he's on Floss Weekly, which is the uh, free and, what does it stand for, free and LibreOffice open stand, I can't remember the exact acronym means, but basically he took an entire segment here uh, to cover what he's been doing lately and mentions the Dragon and Coco specifically in here as part of it. And I'll just play a little bit of the beginning this and then we'll I just wanted to talk so about that's Aaron in the middle the, in case any of you don't know who that is. I've been spending is. a lot of time with this open source and open hardware project lately called RGB to HDMI. So most people know, if you don't know by now, I started, uh, I've been interested in vintage computers for, for a while, but lately I've really been getting back to my roots so much so that I started a YouTube channel um, called Retro Hack Shack, where I you know, work on these systems, bring them back to life. We're also going to try to see if we can get Aaron actually on the show. Sometime and too, so. uh, one of the pro the projects that I've been doing, I did four episodes now about this, is called RGB to HDMI. So one of the issues with older systems is that they, uh, you know, you have the, the video output, the video technology at that time was either composite. A lot of times it was RF modulators that you had to use to connect it to a TV, right? And the, and the quality of the video is pretty poor. And over time, capacitors degrade, um, the output can get even worse over time. And so a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, like people will add composite mods or um, uh, RGB mods to systems. Well, uh, this particular project has taken a Raspberry Pi Zero and then built an additional daughter board, I guess called a hat. Um, uh, if people are still, that's what Raspberry Pi was calling them. I don't know if people are still referring to them that way. Uh, but they added on, oh, here's, let me grab one. Actually, I won't play the whole video, but he kind of goes through what he's been doing. And then he, he's mentioning the Coco multiple times specifically, which, I mean, it's not too often we get mentioned on a, a huge podcast like Twit. So that was kind of cool. Anyway, definitely uh, follow him. Like I said, we're going to try to get him on the show for an interview at some point here, too. He's, he's kind of sounds like he's, he's open to it. It's just that he's pretty busy with his regular but job. This, Plus, he does multiple other podcasts, too. So that definitely will uh, uh, really put the Coco. Uh, back into, uh, you know, make it more useful and get people uh, get new people to support it because if they can hook it up to a HD HDMI monitor, you know, that's that's a big uh, game changer. Yeah, and we do have multiple projects that do that. I mean, Jason sells sells one that does that. 
Cocomanda.biz. Cocomanda.biz. And as a side side comment, uh, just a quick flashback to uh, why did Tandy do that or why did Tandy not do that? Shouldn't the Coco 2 have come out with a composite video option? It did if you were an educational institution. Tandy in the United yeah. States did sell composite versions of the Coco for schools. And it should have been standard. I mean, the Coco yes. 2, they didn't add anything to a Coco 2, but a composite mod would have been good. Yes. Anyway. At least they finally added with the Coco 3, though it's a little bit off spec, so it's yeah. a bit shady. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah. But anyway, the, the entire, like the, this last episode or the episode that this appeared in, which is 617 of Floss Weekly, they basically had all three of the hosts talking about home projects they've been doing instead of going through like recent stuff like they normally do, like, you know, open source projects that are out right now just being developed. They actually went back and kind of did a whole retro episode. So they were going back through the roots. All three of them were some of them back to like ham radio days and stuff and how these modern technology combined with the retro <laughs> stuff. So that was pretty cool. It's a good episode in general there, but uh if the two links there, there's one that's a link just to the specific clip where he's talking about getting the cocoa hooked up. And then there's the link to the general episode as well. And you can get that on twit.tv or on the YouTube link we provided. Okay, so after that, I think this is the Todd Wallace one. I'm sure. Not. Yeah, it is. Okay. Oh, so and, uh, Todd Wallace is watching. He just moved into a new apartment. He's unpacking and watching us on his tablet. Oh, cool. So Todd has done a, a couple of contributions to Nitro Chinese of use that we've actually gone there. The IBM CJ font is one big example that uh, I've used quite a bit. Um, and then he's got OPL3 players and stuff too. So this is his latest project that he's been doing. And it's uh, both the video demonstration, which I'll show here shortly. And then also there's a software download so you can actually get it. And what this does is goes through DriveWire and it actually grabs live weather reports on your Coco. And the current version will read the text version of it. And this is actually live over the web. And he's actually planning on doing a graphics enhanced version as well. So you actually will be able to use your Copa to actually monitor the weather through a driver. You ever wonder what the weather conditions are outside, but just heat windows? I mean, I could use my fancy tablet, check the weather, sure. But that's lame. Use your color computer to do it. Damn, it's cold. <laughs> he has no idea what cold is. Um... <laughs> oh, no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> what's this what's this plus symbol thing mean like i don't know what that is i'm used to seeing a dash but yeah i mean it works pretty well here and actually to pull that off i know we've got some several hardware projects including rick ulan has one going i think uh, jim rain's got one going a few others are probably still working on it too i'm getting you know real network ethernet style cards on the coco as well so there's ability to do this kind of thing directly from the coco directly linked to your network or you can do it through like uh, sloopy's Wi-Fi uh, thing that he did with DriveWire with the uh, PIA socket. Uh, I mean, we've got multiple ways of doing this now, including DriveWire. So some of these programs will start working on all of these once we get this everything everything set up properly. So whichever way you link to the net with your Coco, whether it be a hardware card, through DriveWire, through the wireless, uh, we should be able to start using this stuff. And there's multiple software projects on the go right now to have the Coco go over the web. We've been talked about before about doing like multiplayer games, which like Demig and some others have done. Uh, actually, almost all the other eight bits have done so far, and then also do more you know quote unquote practical apps like the weather and another one that's coming up a little bit later in the new story too. So I think it's just really cool that the, the Coco is finally getting more attached to the outside world besides going through links like we did back in the nineties. 
Well, you know, I don't know if y'all remember, but the MM1, um, since it ran OSK, there was a Ethernet uh, network module that you could incorporate into your uh, core. And there was even a SCSI Ethernet card that you could get and plug into the SCSI bus. And you had, you could, you know, you actually had network, uh, Ethernet network on a MN1. Yep, I do remember that. I think David Ladd might have even used that too if he's still on the call. Next up, and this is from uh, Jason Lee Steer. I, is he from Australia, Nick? I'm trying to remember if he's one of your fellow Aussies. Yes, he's from Perth. Okay. Yes. So he's got a little hardware project board here. Um, it's a revised design to his Omni board, as he calls it. And it's a Cocoa cartridge prototype board. And he was asking for some feedback in the uh, Cocoa Facebook group here. You know, is there any other things we should change? Now, this was originally for two weeks ago news so i'm not sure if that's already been resolved and he's kind of like cut off the suggestions or if there's still time to add more he's already had like 19 comments on it so any of you guys that actually do prototype a hardware design etc and then you want to chime in with some suggestions for these prototype boards uh please do so next up we have an update from uh, pierre sarazin he's put up a manual reference guide for cmoc now that's the uh C compiler that's not quite C, but pretty darn close. Um, specifically aimed at basic programmers. So all the other manuals he's done is basically a, how do you run the CMOC compiler? How do you run it if you're doing an OS9 program? How do you run it if you're doing a disk basic program? In this case here, he's actually trying to teach people that are familiar with basic but haven't really used C, you know, what some of the equivalencies are or, or you know, things that you'll need to kind of translate in your head going between the two. So he's done this manual that basically will help you learn C and CMOC coming from a basic background as opposed to a C or assembly language background. So that's a pretty cool thing. And this is a project that he keeps up to date. I mean, you just, we just did it, covered a, a CMOC uh, bug fix release that was, I think two weeks ago we covered that. So it's an active compiler still being used. Next up we have a YouTube channel called Amateur Tinkering who did a video showing logging and here we go on the net again. Logging into Telnet BBS using the original Cocoa One and the video text cartridge, which is probably the worst terminal program you could possibly pick to try. Um, <laughs> so we did a homemade cable to the Bitbanger port and a Wi-Fi modem. Now let's oh, come on, it was Tandy's. You know it was the best. Couldn't you, couldn't uh, you just I, shout even out with the Tandy? I would have picked Color Compact way ahead of Video Text. Sorry, <laughs> the best for the money. <laughs> I mean, this was the one that came out. I mean, Videotex was the project that actually kind of got the Cocoa started because the Videotex terminal, which uses the same Cocoa case that the Cocoa One did, came out months before the Cocoa One. So it actually pre, you know, comes in pre-Cocoa type thing. And the Videotex cartridge was basically just the ROM of the terminal program that was built into the Videotex terminal. Just, you know, you could plug it in the Cocoa and then you had a general purpose computer and the Videotex as opposed to the Videotex terminal, which had this program basically just burned on its ROM. That's all you could do with the thing. So anyway, you're a bit restricted, of course, because you've got a 32 column. So he logs into this one BBS here. And I think if I remember, he picked the VIC-20 mode because it was the closest to the right size screen. Though <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't have a Cocoa-specific version. Now, I do remember back in the day, there was quite a few BBS programs for the Cocoa specifically, and even some terminal programs for the PC that supported it. They would support the semi-graphics on the screen. So you actually draw the 64 by 32 eight-color blocks. And then even CompuServe, the RLE format, which was the predecessor to GIF or GIF, 
um, which was a black and white 256 by 192 format. The IBM PC and some other machines also, because they discovered the artifacting colors on the Coco, they started incorporating that and that, and that standard actually changed to officially support artifacted colors. And then it became a 128 by 192 by four color mode with, you know, red, or sorry, yeah, red, blue, black, and white, as opposed to just plain black and white. So we've had, had, had some influence on some of the, uh, the graphic uh, standards of the day back with the Coco because it was fairly popular in CompuServe. And uh, the BBSs, though, I, I, like we had a few like a native Cocoa BBSs that did support the lower res graphics and the early graphics as well, which are a bit higher res. Uh, but as far as the generic ones here, like you've got Vic 20 elevated 10, which is a 40 by 15, 22 by 23, and then standard 8 by 24s. These are much easier to do, of course, with the Cocoa 3 because 82 by 24 is built in. But uh, Videotex obviously has no idea what that is. Anyways, it was pretty interesting that he actually he logged into two different BBSs and just kind of demoed you know, running it. And he's actually running it at 300 baud because he's really old school. <laughs> So you can watch the text and you'll know, slowly print on the screen type thing. Does a 22 by 23 screen just so we can try to fit most of it on there. Does anybody remember this speed? Because this is what I first started at. Yep. This is what I started at. 300, right? Speed. Yep. This yep. Goes... He used it for chats. It was cheaper. <laughs> but it does actually work and it looks pretty decent on here. Now, Boat, you're young enough. I'm guessing you probably, if you did the modem BBS thing at all, you probably started a little bit faster than 300 baht. I've never once been on a on a BBS. I that 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 whole that whole thing just passed me right on by. I oh I started gosh. the internet with the internet with the. You're World a BBS Wide virgin. Web. You're telling me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I started. This, off this was our internet before the internet, basically. Right. CompuServe gave you 300 baud for half price. So if you were on a chat or something, pick 300. Yeah. The thing is, I mean, CompuServe, Delphi. Um, more than a genie, some of those others, they were so expensive. I mean, BBS is as long as you had a local one, it was free. It was just, it just tied up your phone line. So yep. they were, they were huge. Well, like early mid eighties here at Saskatoon, which at the time had 150,000 people, we had 60 or 70 BBSs running. What was the, uh, 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 the, uh, uh, interface that, uh, the modem interface, the modem that Tandy came out that had that also had auto answer on it. You mean what Which model of modem? Because they had, they had a couple that did that. The DC twenty two twelve, and you know, there was a few of them. It was it, it it you could plug it directly into the bit port of the uh, Coco. Yeah, they they had multiple. Like Tandy probably I would guess had a dozen of those. Mm -hmm. that would play yeah, I remember using one of those and. We would write speed dollars and and let the cocoa run the speed dollar and, and go yeah. to bed. Yeah, I mean some of the more advanced ones actually had the auto dial. We could set up a list of like here's five BBSs I'm trying to get on because they're all busy right now, and then we just cycle through and dial this one. No, it's still busy. Dial the next one, and as soon as it found one, it would connect and beep at you to call you back to the room to to log in quickly. Right, those were the days. <laughs> those were fun days. <clears throat> yeah, they were. Okay, this next one's a bit of a sad note. A lot of us have been wondering, um, you know, because people have been trying to email Richard Lorbieski here, you know, to order boomerangs or boomerang E2s or uh, various other hardware that he sells, and nobody was getting any answers. And we're kind of wondering if it was, you know, if he was shutting down or what was going on. And it turns out he was one of the people who got damaged in the recent Texas storms. Mm -hmm. So Whoa. he's uh, said he's got all the orders basically shipped that he had already had manufactured. Unfortunately, a few orders were not fulfilled because he didn't have any capacity to do anything with parts if they came in anyway. 
So he's issued a refund in those orders and he plans to resume operations on or before April 1st, which is the best news I've heard in a while. That's, that's awesome. And he did mention a little bit later that uh, he didn't get as heavily damaged as some other people did, though we did have some damage, but some of his family members did have some heavier damage. So he's been helping them a lot, you know, trying to, trying to get things fixed back up again. That was a horrible storm. I mean, the, I mean, the temperatures you guys were hitting there in, in Texas is something I'd be used to seeing up here. But of course, we build our infrastructure based on that. And of course, in Texas, why would you bother, yeah. right? So Yeah, we were not, we were not prepared for three degree F uh nighttime temperatures here in dallas at all yep yeah well the 8-bit guy i don't know if you guys saw his video he put up a video kind of explaining why he's going to be offline for a while because he's just been finishing building his new studio which is an entirely separate building out back and his main house had cracked pipes and all bit and you know inches of water on the floor and so there he just literally had replaced a bunch of the flooring he's got to rip it all back out again and redo it all again so it's just it's just a mess out though Heart goes out to everybody in Texas that suffered. And not just Texas. I mean, there was abnormally cold temperatures in Oklahoma and Nebraska and all over the place, basically. So, uh, Do we know where Bozentech lives? Is he here in Dallas or where is he? Uh, Austin or where? Does anybody remember off the top of their head? I know. San Antonio. Yeah, San, San Antonio. San Antonio. Okay. And Bode, even you guys yeah, got hit, even on the east, bad. right? It's Dallas. But they got it. They did get it bad. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 had a ice storm uh, that we looked at the likes I've never seen here in West Virginia. Um, that that disrupted. I mean, we were out without power for days, and just like in Texas, I mean, to a smaller extent, because I live in rural West Virginia, people have wood burning fireplaces, and uh, and generators have become more popular. But yeah, it was still it was still scary. Uh, you know, I live I live outside the city limits. They don't plow our roads, and if our power goes out, you know, we're we're screwed. So. Uh, we didn't get it as bad as Texas, but it was still it was still a dicey week for sure. Yeah, uh, I do remember like you guys weren't even able to broadcast for several days there because that's right. The that's only right. connection the net you our, had was your phone. Yeah, that's right. Where where in West Virginia do you live? We live uh, uh, in Hurricane, which is how we say hurricane. It's right in between Charleston and Huntington, so we're about forty five minutes uh, east of the Kentucky border. Okay, because uh, we li used to live in Lewisburg, uh, West Virginia. Oh, okay, home of the Greenbrier, right? Yeah, home of the Greenbrier, the famous Greenbrier Hotel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, if you, if you want to know why it's famous, go Google it. You'll find out. <laughs> Sounds like an inside joke for you, too. <laughs> the reason why it's famous, spoiler alert, is that uh, in, in the face of a uh, nuclear catastrophe, there was a secret bunker uh, built in the Greenbrier where the, the president and the, the Congress would, would all flee to. It was actually kept as a secret all the way up, I think, until the late 70s. I mean, it was built in the 50s, so it was kept as a secret for a really long time. Now you can tour it. You can see all the plans that were in place you know, during the Cold War and all that stuff. So it is one of the more famous things here in West Virginia. Cool. I did not know that. That's interesting. Uh, not only that, not only that, but the Greenbrier County Airport runway is longer than the runway at Charleston because it had to accommodate uh, the uh, Prestino aircraft and you know and everything else. Cool. It's very unusual to, for for a county airport to have a runways longer than the main uh, airports. 
So both when you get when you have Botathon there or whatever you guys are calling it there, and I come up to visit you guys there, I, I want this official Aaron, you know, drunkard tour. Absolutely, of that. Aaron is going to. We're going to rent a tour bus, and he's going to be up there with the mic up front, and, and we'll you'll see all the sites: the Hillbilly Flea Market, you know, Tudor's Biscuit World, and the Secret. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, don't forget the coal mine in Beckley. That That's right, the exhibition coal mine in Beckley. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get to get free coal miners lung with that tour too then that's right that's right it's an, it's an added benefit you come out of there coffin oh. for the rest of your life awesome uh. yeah. they get you they get you inside the coal mine and then they turn the lights off that's an experience <laughs> <laughs> i've done that here at the potash mines and yeah it's it's such utterly pitch black there's not even a hint of light so you have no idea what's going on around you anyway enough about tourism west virginia we'll save that for the actual con <laughs> okay so uh the last few uh weeks we've been showing some uh mandelbrot fractal stuff that uh, simon jonas has been recording to speed it up from a basic program to machine language program so robert galt uploaded one here and he's actually got the disc image on the facebook coco group which is of an earlier version of fractal mandelbrot's probably the most famous but there's another one called the kosh koch i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but it's kind of the snowflake shaped fractal i think sorry what was that don't listen, Koch. Okay, so that is correct pronunciation. I wasn't sure. So, so anyway, he's made a version of it here, written in Basic 9, so it runs under Nitrosnider OS9, and it does a 640 by 200 by four color version of that particular one. So, if you guys are into the math of fractals type thing, then there's a, a new demo to download there with the source code. Almost like a fractal fever, but I'm thinking of uh, Fraction Fever, the Coco game. <laughs> yeah, the game. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia in Wisconsin, that name would be Coke. Yeah, that could be. Mm -hmm. That's why I left it up to you guys to pronounce it because I have no idea. All right, next one. This one's a personally interesting bit of history to me. Uh, Ron Lombardo was one of the OS9 gurus in the 80s, uh, along with Kevin Darling, Kent Myers, Bruce Eisted, and a bunch of others. And it was also one of the people involved with the level two version three upgrade that has been kind of unofficially released, but not all of it type thing that Brother Jeremy finally got after singing to Kevin Darling. Um, so what he did here is he said a funny small part of a much larger document of a message from February 28th, 1988 that I came across while filing old papers. This was Tandy's Mark Siegel getting a little nervous about what Mark Griffiths was doing with Multiview and G-Shell. Now, eventually, Mark did a little bit on G-Shell and he passed it on to Kent Myers, and that's where I picked it up because Kent gave me a copy of what they'd worked on, and that's what's in ease of use now is the modified version we did but this goes back into the history of it now mark siegel as you uh probably well know was in kind of in charge of coco's uh, from the coco 3 era and originally came from datasoft he actually used to be steve york's boss um but he was basically saying you know we have these standards we want to keep following and they just found out that they've been doing all these modifications to g-shell so it's kind of a bit of a history here where mark explains you know some of the things that they want to make sure they don't break and then the other mark as he called himself mark griffith actually said no we're just doing um, you know, patches that aren't going to break anything. They're, we're following the standards. We're just adding functionality, modifying icons, you know, other things too. And I've actually seen some REMs in the source code for G-Shell that Kent gave me that kind of show a couple of the things mentioned here. So that was pretty, pretty cool for a historical thing. And now Rod and I have been talking back and forth a little bit. And uh, I'm, I, we're going to try to see, hopefully he's up for it. And we're going to try to see if we can get in contact with some of the people that are involved with that upgrade. Because there was, a, I think, a dozen or two dozen people involved at one point, and even he doesn't remember who all was there. I remember about half a dozen myself, and some of them have since passed away, so I can't talk to them, obviously, but I'd love 
to get as many of them together as possible and have a special episode where we can just kind of ask them. Because some of the level two upgrade, if you download it from the Color Computer Archive, which has like movable, resizable windows and some other fancy things, is not the full version that they actually did. They, they deemed that one a little bit too slow at the time. That's one with like non-stopping overlapping windows and stuff too. Pick up a window on one screen, drop it to another virtual desktop, like all this stuff back in like 89, 90 type thing, which was, you know, in advance of pretty well anything else at the time. So I'd love to get some of their background story because they also, they actually had uh, Wayne Day, who was in charge of the uh, Cocoa Forum on CompuServe, actually set up a special private chat area for the developers between Tandy and the third party people that were working on it to actually discuss ideas and exchange code and everything else. And it was set up and ran for about a year, year and a half. And I would love to get that group together for a kind of a reunion and also just to kind of chat about, you know, what all they accomplished and, you know, what stuff they didn't get done or, or why they pulled stuff out and put other stuff in because that was happening as the project was going to. And nobody except for maybe Kevin Darling has seen the entire level two most advanced version of the upgrade because the stuff you get on the archive is not the most advanced version that was made at the time. That was the one they deemed to be fast enough to uh, to release. Okay, next up here, uh, we got Fred Provanja, who once again, he's the guy that uh, did the new control program we've got in, in uh, Nitrous 90s of Use. So he did a video test program here, and this is another one of the Coco going out through DriveWire through these new internet card or ethernet cards to go out to the web and get things. Now in his case, like Todd did the weather, what he's doing here is he's actually reading ICS iCal style files. So you can actually pull calendars off the web, live ones. And he eventually wants to expand this so that you can actually have it interface directly with the calendar app in, in MultiView or perhaps set up actual alarms that will ring off. So you can actually get live told on a Coco, I've got a meeting or, you know, I got to remember to watch Coco talk at 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays and, uh, you know, do that all right from the Coco itself here. So he kind of goes through a demo. I won't play the whole demo here because it's a pretty long video. Um, but okay, so now um, it's the, the file is finally finished listing. So basically it goes through and then he starts pulling down the live data. This filter program is very basic. Can you still um, see the screen here? Or did it display or try to enlarge? What I am planning to do is... No, it's fine. Okay, I'm just going to bump the resolution up a bit here. Now on Facebook, we start... Okay, so now... Um, Anyway, you can see here, like he's, he's pulling down the summary here and there's a bunch of extra stuff here, like specifically for Microsoft Office. So he's going to filter all that crap out because you don't need that on the Cocoa, obviously. But it can do like, uh, you know, daily reminders. In this case, he pulled down the US um, holiday schedule iCal shared file. Uh, but you can also have ones that actually have specific timed appointments, repeating appointments that happen every week or every month or something like that too. So it's actually a way to use the Cocoa in a practical way once this is done. And he's got it running through DriveWire now. And like I said, with Rick's upcoming you know, Ethernet board and Jim Brains and some others here, um, this is the type of stuff you can actually do. You can actually make your Cocoa a functioning, usable computer. Like if you're like me and you spend a lot of time on your Cocoa, you don't have to like glance over at your PC or your Mac or whatever to say, oh, I'm supposed to be going out somewhere yet. You'll be able to do it right on the Cocoa itself. So it's pretty cool. Mardi Gras is a government holiday. Sorry? That Mardi Gras is a government holiday. <laughs> well, maybe some some places. Apparently, whatever iCal he pulled down, or ICS file he pulled down, thinks so. Some government. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's government holidays on here. I I don't even recognize. Maybe they mean every any government in the world. I don't know. Right. 
Prince Gahoo never heard about Mardi Gras. <laughs> uh, Curtis, how much? How many more uh, news items do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, twelve. Okay. Did you want to break in between? Or you, yeah, continue? you want to take a. I don't know how Ron Dalvo's feeling, but uh, I could probably use a potty break. Why don't we? Uh... Then go ahead. <laughs> well, I imagine other people. Yeah, we all stop you. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is a catch-up no, week. We knew this was going to be a long one. So. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break and just kind of stretch our legs, and we will be back right after this with the rest of news. And uh, Richard Lorbieski has joined the panel as well, so we want to talk to him. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, J.T. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subby the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at CocoTalk.com. Live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. Hey there, I'm Marco Rolzer and you're watching Coco Talk. This is not the Joey serial switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at cocoman.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. And I think we're going to go back to news, Curtis. 
Yeah, actually, I, I since Richard joined us here, and I was trying to like you know relay what I knew of from Facebook postings here, and rather have the person who actually knows what he's talking about, uh, as far as updates on Boys and Tech and, and the situation there. Uh, Richard, did you want to kind of give us an update? What's what's going on? Oh, okay, uh, actually, you didn't really say anything wrong. I just uh, I just want to uh, emphasize and clarify. Uh, I, I do want to uh, thank everybody who has uh, written to me directly, indirectly, you know, the thoughts and prayers and support. Uh, we personally didn't get uh, affected as, as bad as other people here in Texas. Uh, San Antonio, uh, we had over 102 hours of straight uh, freezing, you know, weather that was below 32 degrees, which has never, ever happened in the San Antonio area. And, uh, you know, uh, the infrastructure here just collapsed, basically. We uh, not only you know, a lot of people had to go through rolling blackouts and uh, we had to deal with uh, low water pressure or no water pressure, burst pipes. Uh, we had people that, you know, the grocery stores ran out of food. Uh, my wife uh, is a nurse practitioner and she had to work. I mean, she couldn't just, you know, take off or, you know, and hunker down. So I had to drive her to work uh, almost uh, three times to work over the past that week. And they had to deal with a lot of uh, things like they had low water pressure at the hospital. They lost power a couple of times. They ran out of food. They had to ration food at the, at the hospital. Uh, so it was, it was, it's been a really, really tough time for people here in Texas. Well, glad to, glad to hear that you're okay. And it sounds like your, your house wasn't the, one of the worst ones affected, which uh, those small, pleasant. Yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of, it, it's a lot of minor damage you know we, we had i had one of my uh, we had parts of our water pipes frozen and one of the uh cutoff valves to the dishwasher uh started leaking and i mean it's minor and i, I already have that i don't have it fixed i just have it plugged to where it's not leaking anymore but it, you know it's also a good time i was looking at it, i said you know it's a good time to get some a lot of repairs done uh you know prepare for spring and uh, summer weather things like that. And there's a whole bunch of it. And then we also have friends and neighbors that have uh, really been dealing with a lot of repairs and stuff that they have to have to get through as well. So, you know, we, we've been trying to help out as much as we can. And uh, so that's why I decided, you know, and there's been other things, you know, besides the weather that uh, uh, I, I've been, I've been very, I, I don't know how to put it. There, there's been other things that have been going on, you know, personally. And I have, I've really have neglected doing, fulfilling orders and, and doing things for Boys on Tech. And I, I really have appreciated people who were very patient uh, and understanding. And, uh, and, but there, there is people that did file, you know, uh, that wanted their product and, and, and rightfully so. And uh, I've issued refunds for everybody that, you know, wanted refunds. So, I mean, nobody's out any money, no one's out any product either. But uh, the thing that I was really offended by this morning was there are some people that think they this is a, a time to capitalize on my misfortune. And I was really disappointed and pr pretty frankly outraged by somebody posting a link to their to their uh, website and their email address and trying to drum up business on my misfortune. I mean, to me, I feel that's like a a sleazebag, promiscuous ambulance chasing lawyer trying to drum up business during a disaster. That is just outrageous. And uh, 
I can't believe that happened. No, oh, wow. I, I, I didn't even realize that it happened. But I mean, yeah, it happened this morning. It happened during, you know, uh, there was a link by one of the, I, I consider like one of the fanboys, and then he chimed in. And this is somebody asking about, you know, what's going on with Voice on Tech. And I, 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 it just, that, I just thought that was just totally classless. Uh, and I, I wanted to address that part. I, I just, that just really pisses me off that, no, that people in the community that would do that. Oh, sorry to hear that happened. Uh, yeah, but I, I didn't. I didn't want to jump. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't. You know, mean to jump in here, but I, I just it, this had to be at least that part. But I also wanted to, to let assure people that probably by April first or maybe even earlier, I will probably start resuming operations again. I just wanted to dedicate a lot more time to get things in order here. Uh, I again, it just. Yeah, because it sounds like you're not just doing it for yourself. I mean, we're talking like your extended family, your neighbors, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, it sounds like you've yeah. been helping them all out. So, I mean, yeah, in a disaster, yeah. You, you come together and you don't worry about you know, right. capitalism is like a, a little bit lower. On the, yeah, I, I just, I, I just, it, it just, you know, and, and this was also be a good opportunity to, you know, I've been meaning to, and I, and I know a lot of people have asked, uh, what about your bedroom? You know, especially my wife has been asking about that. I still need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's been an ongoing project and uh i you know we actually we were going to go on vacation starting uh, march 1st but we have canceled that vacation we were just going to do another uh drive around the country but uh we're going to stay home uh this next week and just you know work on house stuff and uh take care of business that way okay well th thanks for coming on for the update uh, i'm glad yeah. to hear that you're doing okay and that the damage to your house wasn't as bad as, as some of the stuff we've seen on the news yeah, yeah, but it, it is, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there's not been a lot of exaggeration of what's really been going on. It's, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been tough for a lot of people. And uh, it was been a lot, it's been really tough for healthcare, especially the healthcare workers. Uh, they've had to endure a lot of uh, stress uh, with their families and at, you know, at the workplace. Uh, it's, it is, you know, as, as we were not really pre as prepared as we should be, because I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it's a big deal. It, it didn't get that cold compared to other places in the country. But in our area, it was just so many, so many hours of freezing weather. I mean, mm -hmm. like I said, we've never gone through 102 straight hours of freezing weather like this. Uh, most of the time we go through cold snaps, maybe 12 to 24 hours, but not 102, you know, th over three straight days. Yeah. So it, right. it, the water lines come in three feet deep, right? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're deep, but they're not protected. Well, no, three others. feet. That's not, that's not frost depth three. That... Well, there, there is no, there is no frost line here in Texas. So well, it, there it, was last week. Yeah, there was last week, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, typically we do, we don't have this kind of uh, thing. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and, and just like I said, it was just one of those, uh, you know, it's a lot of things that added up that caused a lot of uh, hardship for a lot of people. Uh, the other thing that we're gonna have to contend with is our utility bill. Uh, and nobody really wants to address that because I calculated, you know, the way that they have set up the utilities here, you know, in our jurisdiction, CPS Energy, I calculated our next utility bill is gonna be about $4,000. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just like, well, you know, but, you know, they, they, they assured us that no one's gonna get the, these kind of bills or be, 
expected to pay that all at once. And then, uh, you know, we're on a plan that we pay a flat fee every single month. Right now we're paying $230 and then they recalculate every year, you know, and they average out the bill. So, you know, we don't get like a hundred dollar bill one month and a $500 bill the next month. It's just one straight fee. But we figure that our, our next reset or when they calculate it, that is going to probably, if they don't change anything, uh, it's going to be about $800 a month. I mean, we, we can afford that. I mean, we're fortunate that we, we have the means to do that, but there's other people that just, they don't have that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, again, it's not, it's not over yet for, for a lot of people here in Texas. No, and we were talking to some other people earlier on the show there. I don't know if you were listening at that time, but I mean, there's still chunks of Texas that are boil water advisories and stuff there because right. the water's not safe to drink. So, Yeah, we were under a, 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 a it was a voluntary uh, boiling uh, water uh, requirement, but uh, they have since lifted that. Um, right now, our water is is fine, but, you know, still, is like you said, a lot of other people are, are without you know, uh, decent drinking water and, and some people are still without power. So how about uh, your COVID shots? Were you able to get any? Uh, actually, my wife was one of the first ones to, she's a, she's classified as a tier one uh, healthcare worker because mm -hmm. uh, she actually works with people who have COVID-19. So she got her shot back in December. And as for me, I am a participant in a trial, a COVID-19 trial. Uh, I actually have, either I have the vaccine or the placebo for the Johnson & Johnson, Janssen pharmaceutical one. So uh, cool. we may be, I may be covered. I don't know. They haven't revealed that. Uh, they have discussed uh, Johnson & Johnson right now. Uh, they have uh, the, the CDC board has approved the, mm -hmm. it for distribution but it hasn't been formally done yeah the but, emergency authorizations with the yeah the emer now. emergency authorization and if they do that and they start distributing that vaccine they have uh probably are going to make that available to us they will reveal that either either if if we had the placebo they will pr maybe offer it to us uh for free of charge you know and and get the vaccine or if we already have it, they'll just reveal to us that you already have it. So, um, but again, that's 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 somewhere down the road. Okay. Well, thank thanks for coming on and, and giving us an yeah. update here. That's well, yeah, a, thank you. Me trying to do a third party person type thing. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, I understand <laughs> it. But yeah, thank thank you for uh, let me uh, uh, at least you know speak up. Hang in there, Rich. All right. <laughs> thanks a lot. And glad you're helping your neighbors. That's that's a nice thing to do. Now you remember where I left off. <laughs> well, anyway, you can, uh, boysontech.com will be back uh, in a month or two with more um, Cocoa products. And I'm stalling for time, Curtis. Uh, <laughs> I'll just in the screen share going again okay. here. So there we go. <laughs> okay. So to pick up where we left off here, uh, Fabian Rodriguez uh, posted that he rescued a Cocoa 3 from a group of dead computers they got in a bulk purchase. Oh. And as he put it, best one hour round trip from Montreal. So it was a ton of stuff that he got in there, including the Cocoa 3. And then he put up some pictures of what uh, kind of shape it's in. It's actually in pretty decent shape. It's a little bit yellowed. And, uh, you know, French stickers on it because it's in Canada, of course. And that mesh, which was unique to Canada, too. 
I know some questions about that on the uh, Facebook group. But it looks to be in pretty good shape. 128K machine, obviously. Hey, I got a question. You see that bar going across the gimme? Is that normal? I have seen it before, but not too often. It wasn't like a standard Canadian thing because my machine didn't have that. But I have seen it before. I'm not even sure what that's for. Is Those it, are PLCC uh, lock. Um, lock to keep the chips from going working out. Okay. They probably well, should have made that standard because quite a few people have bought Coco 3s that you know they are claimed to be dead on eBay and all they do is reseat the chip and now it works fine. Right. You dropped it, drop it again. That'll be fixed. <laughs> yeah, they make those for regular um, sockets as well that you can put over the chip to help keep it locked into place. So does it, have, to. does it have two pressure points on either side or is it the center that's dropped down? It's hard to tell. The center should go down because the chip actually is a sub-level of the socket. Right, there's, there's a bump on each side you push down in the middle to sort of spring the right okay so it sort of springs and push forces it down once you push it down far enough i mean it's probably just a version of socket the fact that factory could get a hold of that day right that happens occasionally also okay anyway yeah he picked up a whole bunch of bulk computers the coco 3 happened to be one of them and uh it works so another coco rescued which is good especially with the coco 3 because as a lot of people mentioned they're getting expensive and hard to find so actual hardware now he also posted this one here and this was a rather interesting one so there's this dual floppy like you'll notice it's it's uh it's not two separate cases it's one front plate here that covers both the three and a half and the five and a quarter inch drive My i was wondering with systems like that too yeah yeah i like he, he was asking like this is a high density one he was asking would this work in the cocoa well it'll work but like for example in five and a quarter inch discs high density drives generally tended not to work too well with double density discs at least from my experience um if you're running high density discs then you had to worry about double stepping the head and a bunch of other weird crap too the three and a half ones usually tended to work pretty good as long as you use double density media or you tape over the high density hole they seem to be pretty reliable um i remember actually we had one at work briefly one of these that was a double density version so it was a 360k and a 720k um five and a quarter and a three and a half this is of course the 1.2 and 1.44 meg version so uh, right. from anybody here that's had experience with, with with trying to run high density floppy drives on a coco not necessarily in high density mode but just as a, a way to get a more modern drive to run with the older media uh, what's what's been your experience on, on running these types of things i never got a five and a quarter to step down the three and a halfs you could get to work, but I never got a five and a quarter to work. Okay. Even as double density, I just couldn't make it do it. Yeah, and I'm basically I heard the five and a quarter was a lot more problem prone. Uh, David Ladd, you're you're the floppy expert here. Have you experimented with the high density drives in the Coco much? Or is he still here? No, oh, sorry, I've got a whole bunch of windows open. All right. So as far as high density, um, I have not done the five and a quarter. Um, I have, in my multi-pack, I have two floppy controllers. Um, one is a 26-3029 that I have replaced the crystal and the data separator. And it's basically locked in high density at all the time. So, and then I've got then the other floppy controller, which is for the double density. 
So, um, okay. And it, it works fine. The, uh, because the fact that a lot of the tools, there used to be a set of drivers that you could get for OS 9 back in the day that had a separate format utility to format the disks from OS 9. But currently, um, yeah, I haven't been able to find those. And from OS 9, you can't really format them yet. Um, so I've been kind of cheating and using the grease weasel to create the disks. <laughs> so, it's favorite piece of hardware of all time. Oh, it's it that 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 thing's the the best tool. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. But as far as a regular uh, cocoa goes, the three and a half inch drive itself, um, three and a half inch drives have a little sensor that will use where the hole would be for the high density, or if it's blocked, then it's double density. And so the three and a half will work right off the bat as double density if you're using the double density disks. Um, as far as the five and a quarter, um, on that post, I linked to uh, a text file, which actually I see my post there, um, that gives the jumper settings for setting the 300 RPM, and then you can set the other values for the higher low density mode. Oh, so this one actually supports proper double density mode on the five and a quarter, then, if you set. Well, jumpers. most high densities do. Um, the thing is, is they'll either run at 360 RPM all the time, or there's a jumper that you can put that when it does double density, it will then run at 300 RPM. And that's, that is the key that you have to make sure for double density on the cocoa, the five and a quarter is set for the 300 RPM. Yeah, because there's that and the, and the width of the head was the other problem I remember being. Yes, you issue. can, disk basic um, for reading existing cocoa software is not really uh, supported on this. Um, OS 9, um, it, uh, when you went from the, what was it? The 96 T, T tracks per inch, the TPI, to then the 48 TPI floppy disks, if you used a 48, OS 9 would then double step. So you could read the, the 40 track disks in an 80 track drive. Um, but disk basic doesn't have that. So basically you couldn't read a disk basic disk in this drive natively. Yeah, whereas you could on the three and a half because I've done that tons. Yes, the three and a halves, um, yeah, that's just, you just have a lot of wasted space. Yeah. But the three and a half inch double density disks are a lot easier to find than the five and a quarter. Okay, so. well, th thanks for posting. I, I didn't actually get a chance to follow up in the comments afterwards when I, when I originally wrote the story down. So I didn't realize you, you got a link to it. And I didn't realize this drive lets you down it to 300 RPM from 360, et cetera. So that's good information to have. Yeah, that's one of the things that people, um, it, it just takes a little bit of Googling. The first thing I did is I took Epson, the part number, and jumpers. And Google spit out an actual Epson FTP site. And I looked at it, and I'm like, yep, that's the information the person needs. And linked no, it. I, no, I never got that drive to work. RPMs. 
Hmm. I got, got a comment from uh, on YouTube um, from Mikey, and he said, this episode of Floppy Talk is brought to you by the 6502. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on to the next one. We've got Terry Trapp. Now, we've been covering, he's been doing this hardware project where he's been getting it to play you know, advanced music, etc., using, uh, what is it called here? The Well, he's calling this one. It's a Parallax P2 project board. He showed up doing a few things. He's going to call the final product a Cocoa Blender. And currently, as he mentions here, I'll see if I can highlight it. This is kind of uh, this kind of stuff he wants to shoot for this board to support once it's done. So it'll have two virtual 6551 UARTs, which is the R232 pack compatible, which means it works with all the existing software that uses the R232 pack. A VGA video out for the second monitor, which he hasn't quite decided if it's going to be a completely separate you know, a graphical display or maybe just a, emulate like a VT100 terminal with all the control codes for color, et cetera. He's still kind of, you know, hammering out the details on that. Two-channel audio output for software SID, and he's demonstrated the SID compatible um, playback on one of the previous episodes we did on the news for it. Two USB hosts for uh, human interface devices like keyboard and mice, which would be cool. A microbus socket for Wi-Fi, RTC, and click modules. And as soon as I saw RTC, my eyes lit up. Uh, micro SD card slot, firmware will boot from the uh, SD card itself, and a 40-pin connector to act as a Y cable for the Coco SDC or another drive controller. So you actually don't even need a multi-pack, though we have several of those now available. So it's a pretty pretty cool and pretty awesome, pretty wide-ranging project. He's actually demonstrated a couple bits of this already running, so he's actually got parts of this going already with the SID chip emulation. So it uh, looks, looks pretty decent. I, he hasn't got uh, quoted a price or anything on it yet, but I'll definitely be keeping an eye on it because it looks like a pretty good multifunction I.O. card. Almost Brian Schubring's dream come to life kind of thing. <laughs> Real Is time. that a hint? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not involved with that thread, you should get there, Brian, because I think you might have some suggestions. Yeah, no, I, I, I read through that uh, list before, and that's kind of like what I was doing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up, we got Brandon, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, or Tetro, Tetro. You posted a question about um, launching VCC with the cartridges as an auto launch from the command line, because he wants to do a front end. And I believe, uh, both you might be able to correct me on this, but I believe Aaron's already done this, uh, where he's actually had it so you can just double click on a cartridge and it automatically fires up the emulator with the game up and running immediately. But uh, it looks like that's basically what he's trying to do here as a front end to run VCC from a command line to say launch and drone instantly and start running it. And then Bill Pierce gave him suggestions. You can do that with the latest versions of VCC. So if you have 2.01 C or D, uh, you can actually do that. So uh, in fact, I think he has a video that he did a little bit later on. Yes, I think it's the next one here. I'm kind of showing it actually running here. So we'll just show it like he's got a selection of his virtual machines here on, on, the, on emulated machines, I should say on the right. And then he does a quick little demo. Selecting the cocoa. So it's got little video demos of the cartridge you're selecting, including sound effects. So 
Well, that's that's what the launcher looks like. He's got had some suggestions and stuff after he asked the initial question, and he's got it working now too. So, um, like I said, I believe Aaron had done something similar, and they actually did a little bit of a special on it uh, on the Amigos uh, YouTube channel. So you can check that out too. And I, I know he did design some artwork and stuff for some of the cartridges as well. So. Next up, uh, Michael Piesco put up this question, curiosity question, what got you into Coco's? And it kind of explains what got him into it. Now, this has been a thread that's been just been taken off. There's now 85 comments. Um, I'll be explaining you know, why people got into them and then uh, you know what they do with them now or what, what, it, what it propelled them to do is their career, et cetera. So there's a lot of interesting stories. We've already run pretty long on news here, so I'm not gonna go through any of these, but there's a ton. Feel free to contribute your own if you haven't already. I just did mine, I think yesterday. So um, it's pretty interesting seeing you know, why people got them. Some people got it for cost. Some people got it because their parents got it for them. Some people you know, found it years later in a garage sale or whatever it was. So it's pretty interesting to see how everybody got into the Coco in the first place. Now, is Boat still on the call here? Because uh, I'll probably let him intro this more than me doing it. I do not believe so. It's negative. Okay. So basically, this is the uh, latest episode of This Week in Retro, which is, uh, stars himself, John on the right, obviously, and then Neil of RMC, which used to stand for Retro Man Cave, but they wanted to be less sexist with the title, so it's just RMC now. He's just been redoing his studio in the UK here, and you can see some in the background there. So what they do, in case you missed the last time we talked about this a few weeks ago, it's a, it's a retro show showing new things or newer things that are happening in retro tech, because that's almost become an industry unto itself now. And they basically pick four or five stories a week that kind of concentrate on various platforms. And the very first Coco one, which I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago is coming up, um, is out now. This is the one that was just dropped this morning. And uh, basically it's covering Ben Drake's and the VR interfacing he's done with XROR, et cetera, to play Coco and Dragon games uh, using modern VR, their Omni uh, product. Now, the video that they happen to choose here have the best graphics for the Coco. They picked Gatecrasher, so Nick Marantes, this might be of interest to you as well, um, showing them playing it with the VR. Now, this is, if you look at the hardware, though, that Ben's wearing, this is the older version from about a year ago. And we did the Android one he did recently, and that had much more up-to-date hardware. Um, so it's not quite as bulky, et cetera. Neil, I, I noticed, uh, I don't know if you noticed, the Coco 3 in the background in front of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's always had that permanently set up there for playing Coco games. Now, the screen it's attached to is actually on a switcher between multiple machines he's got. He's got Amiga, Atari 8-bit, um, Nintendo, Coco 3, etc. So at the time of this video, when it was recording, his demo in the background is not Coco stuff. But uh, sometimes he does have that going, so... I'll just fast forward for any of those that have missed the uh, the original VR thing. Here is Ben all goggled up and on the earlier version with the waistband that kind of keeps you from running off. Now they change the treadmill so your feet slide on it, and you don't actually need any of this extra equipment to kind of hold you as much in place. So it's a lot less bulky. All the rest. Uh, the color computer didn't sell as many units as the heavy hitters, but it has an extremely devoted fan base. I would compare it to something like the fan base of the the Amstrad. Uh, you know, it's it's not the most obscure machine out there, but it definitely wasn't on the Mount Rushmore of you know most units sold of the of the micros. Uh, now it's interesting to note that the UK got the Coco in a way. In the anyway, I don't know. I'm gonna play the whole Coco part of the show here, so you guys don't go watch the video. So the links should be in the uh, chat already. But it's, 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 it's cool that they're getting the, I mean, they have a pretty big uh, traction with the show. Uh, 
Neil, the other host there, actually his his channel gets tens of thousands of views per episode type thing. So he's yep. one of the bigger YouTubers. So it's uh, pretty cool that we're actually what getting a bit of Coco mention. What, what was the movie that uh, the players would uh, hook up in a, a device like this and go online? Like the Oculus Rift or something, you mean? Or? No, no, no. I'm not sure then. It's a, like a retro device, or are you talking about a modern device? No, this device is shown on the screen where he's in, he's got the multi-directional treadmill and uh and he's you know got the circle rounding so he can't come off of it mm -hmm. it was it's reminiscent in the vr glasses it's reminiscence of a movie that came out where the player would get on get into a, a gear like that like this and then he would go online and they had to if the if he solved the ultimate uh um set of bug uh, uh, set up uh, uh, questions or whatever. Uh, you got to talk to the the uh, finally get to talk to the guy who invented the the. Oh, network. that's the one that features Daggerath. Um, the Ready book. Player One. Says Ready Player One. Buck Owens. Yeah, Ready Player One. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that uh, looks like a, the rig that was in Re uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, it would be reminiscent of because that, that was based on VR. Well, Next that's going to be. I think that's going to be some of the feature of the of the new uh, games and stuff. Is you'll have a, 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 a setup like that, which you get in, and you go, and that puts you more immersed into the game than just you know what we're doing. It just instead of just being on the screen. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for some of us, and I'm unfortunately one of them, I, I can't do VR. I've, I've tried it a few times and my motion sickness is way too bad. Like I, I can't even watch, Never mind putting on VR goggles. I can try to watch somebody play like uh, Quake 3 or something like that. And after five minutes, I'm getting nauseated and dizzy. I can't even just watch it on screen. So this stuff will never apply to me, unfortunately. Anyway, the next story here, um, this is another new YouTube channel I've not seen before called PA Hand AV. And uh, he does a, a kind of a tutorial here of getting VCC to run with hard drive images for Nitrous 9. Now he's basing this on the stock repository Nitrous 9. So I did mention in the comments, I said, if you wanted just to set up a quick hard drive based Nitrous 9 was what he's showing here, you could download ease of use. Now he does do a few things a little bit differently than, than you know we do in ease of use. Like he makes the hard drive image, a dual image. So it's got a 30 meg, 254 drives of disk basic uh, partition drive images, as well as a 90 meg OS9 partition. And then he kind of you know shows you how to copy all the files across, insert other disks to copy the rest of the basic stuff. Personally, I think just downloading ease of use and installing it's much faster and easier, but we don't get in the sophistication of doing all the different sub drives. I mean, in my personal case, I would just create separate RS-DOS disks and just run those when I need to run those. And I would just run Nitrous 9 when I need to run Nitrous 9 rather than making a dual image and having to worry about, you know, installing HDB DOS or whatever to get it all running simultaneously where I can switch between them. But uh, it's a very good, very well done tutorial, step-by-step -step instructions, et cetera. So for those of you who want to try that or, or just want to learn how kind of that stuff kind of works, you know, more, at a more lower level level, at a lower level than you would do just downloading use of use and just running it. It's a pretty decent tutorial. 
and he goes through a, you know a bit of a history of OS nine and Nitrous nine, the fact that you know it's an open source thing and the various things going through setting up DCC specifically and which CPU you're picking, et cetera, and et cetera. And gets it up and running. It's a pretty pretty decent tutorial. Uh, this just dropped this morning. Coca Crew episode sixty nine got released. Now I have not had a chance to listen to any of it yet, so I, all I can go by is the show notes here. Now the ones that I wanted to point out for interest here at the bottom, um, the bottom uh, host discussion here is full set collecting a healthy obsession. Do you gotta catch them all? Now, the, this is kind of like a Brian Weasler question, I think, because they may have had you in mind when they were talking about this. Assuming I'm understanding what the discussion without having heard the episode yet. Where I think they're just asking, do you need to get like every single version of a Cocoa One with every motherboard revision, et cetera, type of thing, uh, and into a collection? And my personal opinion is that, you know, it's it's up to the collector. It depends what they want. If somebody wants to get a complete set, that's what they want. Now, other people just want to have a working, you know, Cocoa One that doesn't matter if they got a D, E, F, C board as long as it's functioning. So, Brian, I was wondering what, what's your opinion on that? Got to collect them all. I think you're still muted, Brian. I think he said he collects them all. That was me, Mark. Oh, Brian's oh. got his uh, his uh, mic. Oh, there he is. His... Oh. Uh, for, forgive me. I was trying to. I was trying to try to get two things done there. Um, what was the question again? I, I do apologize. Sorry. Well, what the, I like I said, I haven't listened to the episode yet, so I'm kind of guessing that this is what it's about. But the host discussion topic on the Coco Crew episode that dropped this morning <clears throat> was: Is full set collecting a healthy obsession? Do you gotta catch them all? Oh, and <laughs> we're suggesting that that's possibly you know you if if you're collecting Coco ones, do you need to get a C, a D, an E, and an F board, and or do you is it just good enough? And I, like I said uh, earlier, I think my personal opinion is it depends on the collector. If you're collecting for collecting's sake, then yes, you probably do want all the individual ones, like TDP and whatever else. And if you just want to get a functioning Cocoa because you're interested in the Cocoa usability part of things, then no, you don't. So it depends on the right. person, I think. Yep. No, no. I uh, yeah. For me, I'm definitely in that in that position there where I'm trying to do the other ones now. You know, like the different boards and stuff like that. Um, I haven't gone quite that deep because some of them. Uh, I, I try to get the ones that still have the warranty sticker that's unbroken. So sometimes it's kind of hard to uh, to determine which board it is. But uh, the different revs and stuff like that, I do try to get all the different flavors uh, of a lot of the things, like the, like the cartridges. I've tried to get the different versions of that, uh, different versions of the joysticks. You know, whether it's you know the Tandy version. So I think if you're doing it from the collecting standpoint, you want to see the different variations over the history. You know that that Tandy went with the product. Um, yeah, I'd say go for it. Um, uh, you know, everybody's position is different. You know, if you just want to be a user or a collector or a programmer or a hardware developer, I mean, that's yep. kind of the fun thing about the hobby is that there's a lot of different directions that you can go with it. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, yep. it's, it is the collecting, you know, and just trying to find the different products. So yeah, no, I think it's- Yeah, and uh, the other extreme would be like Joanne, who's, I mean, she's, getting back into the programming side of things and is just using emulators. I mean, doesn't even mm -hmm. have a physical cocoa at this time and all well, of that's fine and everything in between. Yep. There, there's another side to this. For instance, I sold a Thexter to someone who has no interest in the cocoa at all. They just want every version of Thexter ever made. For every platform. Yeah. And yep. yeah, it'll yep. never and get I, played. <laughs> is that bad? You know, I don't know, but someone wanted sadly, I, I, sadly, I have a few, uh, a few of those as well, where um, <laughs> I do have other products like Atari, Commodore. I don't, I don't go in, in, in deep with hardware though, but I do have working machines and yeah, some of the games and stuff like that, 
Um, I'm trying to get the different versions of, of some of those games too. So, so yeah, my obsession is kind of taking me down some other rabbit holes as the one you just <laughs> spelled out there. Now, not all the different versions of, of all the different, uh, different, but like Zaxxon, I'm trying to get all the different platforms of, of, of Zaxxon and, uh, and some of those other games that are out there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's two versions of that. There's the original Datasoft yep. sold directly by Datasoft version plus the Tandy version. So, yep. So, yeah, so it, it, it's certainly fun. Curtis, Curtis, yep. I know they, they had an interview with John Strong. We need to yep, get I'm him mentioning up. that too, actually, yeah. Yeah, we need to get him up here and uh, do an interview with us. We, we've done a couple with him before, actually. He used to be a semi-regular panelist, but he's actually been busy with his job and stuff lately, so it's been a bit more uh, difficult to get him on. But, uh, yeah, we've had him on multiple times. So that was one other thing. I was going to mention the interview with John Strong. I'm not sure exactly what all they discussed. Like I said, I haven't listened to the episode yet. And the other one that was interesting to me is the tech segment uh, comes back with Color Pilot, which is a programming language that I remember seeing advertised, but I know absolutely zip about. And um, our Alan Murphy here on the panel actually did some stuff with um, Pilot back in the day. He suggested it's kind of a script, more of a scripting language, I guess. Is that how you described it, Alan? Yeah, kind of. It's a very domain-specific language. Kind of like, uh, uh, was it uh, color Lego? Logo? No, it's it's quite different than logo from what Alan was saying earlier. But it's it's cool that you know it's, he picked a, a language that is not well known, so that people that are curious about just different computer languages, what different directions they took uh, from even back in the eighties, the type thing that they do a review of it. And like I said, I'm pretty interested in, in hearing about that one because I don't, I have no experience with that language at all. So it's available. They've got the YouTube version up too, if you want to just you know listen to it in the YouTube version. And they've also got the downloadable MP3 for the podcast version on kukukrew.org. Next up, and now we're jumping into Dragon News. We didn't have any MC10 news this week, except for the game stuff, for which, of course, Jim Gary pretty well filled that whole segment anyway. So um, in this case, we're getting to Dragon stuff. So the next five stories of Dragon related or from the Dragon group on Facebook or YouTube. So the first one here, Stuart Orchard, and this actually I was going to play last week on the news if we had a news segment. So this is a little bit older already, but this is a video demonstrating an FPGA-based blitter board. Now we've kind of talked about this, uh, you know, talking about possibly doing blitter boards, etc. For you know, the Gimme X, for example, if it could do that. This one in particular plugs into the expansion port, and uh, so he's got a proof of concept here. Uh, the video, and he's also got the project files for it if you want to fiddle with it yourself on his GitLab account, which I'll show on the next screen. But I wanted to play this because basically it, it, it copies this stuff over onto the board, and then the board actually handles some of the hardware acceleration on its own, and then you copy the results back to the Dragon video RAM. So it doesn't let you display off the card, but it can process things so much faster that just doing a block copy of a 6K graphics screen to there, let the FPGA do its thing, and then copy it back is actually faster than doing all the calculations itself. So his little demo here is a bunch of little sprites he's got bouncing around. So I'll let you see what that looks like. So you've got scrolling backgrounds, you've got multiple shapes you know, overlapping and bouncing around perfectly smooth. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting board. And then he's kind of got a description of it a bit more in his GitLab here. And like I said, you can download all the source code for here. Now, one of the interesting things here I found on the Blitter features, it halts the process and uses direct memory access to read the graphics data from the Dragon memory and perform, you know, bit shifts, et cetera, anding and oring for, you know, doing sprites, et cetera, as well. 
And he actually mentioned in some of the source that uh, he's using techniques that Jim Brain had brought up when he did his DMA blog posts on the cocoa that we covered last year. So uh, obviously the, the the stuff that Jim had discovered there now he's is being used here on the dragon for the exact same purpose. And he's also got some stuff that he wants to add to it a little bit later on too. He's mentioning uh, you know, more advanced graphic routines, et cetera. So it looks like a pretty interesting project. And like I said, the source code's up here. So if anybody wants to fiddle with it, go for it. Um, definitely keep him in the loop. Um, I can't remember. Stuart's actually on our uh, Discord occasionally too, because I think he's doing services on too. So um, if you guys have any questions for him, I think he's on there. I just came up with the name. Uh, Steve Bamford is doing Cersei's. Oh, Steve. So. Okay. Maybe it's yeah. not... Uh, Stuart might not be on there, though. but I know Karen talks to him a bit and Karen is active on, on our Discord. So if, if you can't get a hold of Stuart directly, you might be able to send some relayed messages through Karen. It's a pretty cool project. Next up, we have uh, Andy Fox, who did a quick little show and tell about installing the Coco VGA board into a dragon, which is a little bit more difficult than it is on the Coco. And it's... <laughs> I don't have a dragon and I, I know just a few of our panelists do, so I'm not going to play the video, but if you are interested on in what is involved on getting the Coco VJ into the dragon, all the features work fine. So once you got it up and running, you're, you're running full bore Coco VJ, including those demos we did by Sheldon McDonald earlier with the, you know, the graphics mode fonts and 16 colors, et cetera, on a Coco one and two or a dragon 3264. So pretty cool video on there. Next, this was an interesting one by Jamie Murray. So we posted the cover of a Dragon user magazine. Now this is the international edition. And you'll notice on the upper left here, it has 75 pence, it also says US 325. Now I was not aware that Dragon user was directly sold in the States. I, I didn't even know they had an international version to be honest, but they are reviewing like say the CGP 220 color inkjet printer that Tandy sold on the cover of this particular one. So anybody in the panel here, have you ever seen a, a United States sold version of Dragon User Magazine before? No, and um, that CGP220 has an extra label on the front of it. it I don't think mine, mine just has the um, Radio Shack TRS-80 CGP220. It doesn't say laser jet. What does it say underneath it? Color laser jet. jet printer, I think it says. Yeah. I don't think mine, mine has that extra piece. I can't remember if mine did or not. Like I bought one of them when they were new and I had it for about 10 years. Unless I, mine fell off or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I just thought it was interesting. Like I do know that Tano was selling dragons in 1983. And then of course they were selling them, you know, new in box for decades afterwards until they sold out finally. Um, but I don't remember the dragon user magazine being here. So I don't know if it was a special order you had to do or, or maybe dragon user was planning on trying to get onto bookshelves in bookstores in North America too. And maybe I just never saw it. Maybe it only got to certain select stores or something. I just find it pretty interesting that they actually actually had sold directly in the US. Hmm. Next up, we have uh, Julian Brown who uh, posted three weeks ago and I think I might've mentioned it briefly that they were doing an on a uh, 689 emulator in JavaScript that you could run locally or even online. So I guess he's got an update to it here. Uh, you can actually set it up to run locally if you have the node installed. Um, that's a screenshot. Now it's not a Coco or Dragon emulator. It's a 6809 emulator. So it's basically a core basic 6809 virtual machine. Now, if somebody wanted to, you know, update it and change it, they could probably add in, you know, the Dragon specific or Coco specific video chips, sound chips, etc. 
uh, to get it up and running as a full-blown Cocoa or Dragon emulator. But for just General 6 out of 9, just having a draft version that you can run locally or on the web is, is kind of a cool idea. So there's the links in his Facebook post on the Dragon users group here for those who are interested in getting the source code for it. And the last news item for today, if anybody's still awake, um, this one's from uh, Kieran, actually. And uh, he didn't fully describe in the comments exactly what this is. I'm assuming from reading the text on that satellite board on the right lower side here, that it's a 128K RAM upgrade, probably with an MMU or something controlled by that central square chip. I don't know if anybody else has had a chance to look at this or has talked to Kieran about it, or if Kieran's in the chat and maybe, you know, verify if I'm guessing right exactly what this is. Yeah, it should be a CPLD control the memory. Yeah. yeah, I believe he's on the chat also. Okay. I know he's got a bit of a delay there between the video and us, so hopefully he'll pipe in here. But it looks like a pretty clean design board here. Um, and in 128K, I do know one of the Dragon prototypes, I think the Alpha, the professional camera, which one actually did have 120K built in, but there was only a few prototypes made. So um, I don't know if this is just duplicating that functionality or if it's, it's a brand new version of it. I don't know what that double header connector on there. It almost looks like an RGB connector from the bottom of Coke 3. I doubt that's what it is, but I don't know what that's for at all. So I was it, trying to read the text on the bottom of that little daughter board, but I can't, even with the magnifier glass, I can't read what it says. Well, it says TM005 Dragon 64 128K. And then copyright type and, and then the year in okay. Roman numerals. But it doesn't really explain okay. except for 128K if it does anything else or if that's all it does. And I don't see Kieran answering, so I'm guessing he's not active in the chat at the moment. But if he does pipe in, no, we'll, that, we'll mention it later. Does that does that give the dragon? 128K of usable uh, program. I'm assuming type? so, but I honestly I don't know. There's not enough of a description for me to really tell. Looks like a small gimme chip. <laughs> yeah, I know. At first, I thought it was the gimme X, but then I got looking and went, no, that's not a gimme X. No, it's not even the right color for a gimme X. So <laughs> having one right right here, actually, I kind of know that one quite well. Anyway, that's that's it for the news. If, if Kieran does pipe in the chat here while we go through project updates and acquisitions, then I will... Uh, let everybody know what he said exactly that board is and see if my guess is correct. Oh, no, Curtis. Yep. Curtis, I got a little treat for everybody. Okay. This is the picture that the TV show uh, put uh, put in that uh, Apollo 17 episode of me um, showing me back, back in the day. So um, you can figure out who, uh, who I... Uh, who who I am from that, I think. Let's see if I can do this. What year was this at NASA? Uh, this 72? Was yep, 72. Can you zoom it up? Huh? <laughs> can you zoom up can the you picture? See it? Yeah, it's pretty small, though. Can you zoom it up? Uh, let's see. How do you zoom on this? Yeah, oh, 71% there should do it. Or, yeah. Uh, Inside scroll bar, yeah. There you go. 
Is there is there a prize if I guess correctly? <laughs> I think I know, but I'll let the other people guess first. Mm, second from the left. No. Yeah, I think I know. I think I know now. And you said this is 1972? Yeah. Or 82. Well, I I guess we should share our our um this is the uh, this what well, this is the medical uh, the medical crew support team. We supported the uh, we did all the pre-flight and post-flight flight uh, medical tests and everything on all the all the crews and and, uh, so and did medical you, did you work, medical research and everything. Did you work with the surgeon uh, at in the control center? Oh yes, uh, the the flight surgeons were our bosses. Mm -hmm. So you watched the heart rate the whole time, or did they? Oh yeah, we watched the heart rate, the respiration. Um, we could even tell when they they uh, had the potty. <laughs> One on the right kind of looks like a Star Trek Next Generation uniform. <laughs> yeah, that right? kind of does, though it predates it by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I'll I'll tell you who that is. That's Bill Crozier. Well, now you've increased the percentage of us of us guessing right. Um, <laughs> okay, why, don't we, the... why don't we have a dramatic reveal? Uh, we do have some updates and acquisitions to uh, go through, so we will take a commercial break. Can, if you, that's... See my... can you see the cursor on the screen? Yes, yep. I can. All right, here we go. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that yeah, was that was, right. was my guess. Okay, because <laughs> which know, one? The, the nose, nose, center, center, brown shirt, glasses. Ah, I was thinking that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got like... different now. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Cool. Yeah. Do you still have that shirt? That's what we want to know. God no. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't fit anywhere <laughs> well well great well thanks for sharing that joanne yeah. if, you, if you have anything else we're going to come back with uh you ever see that episode on ancient aliens um they when they cut the moth segment they that's the first thing they show is that picture that particular picture Okay, well, we'll be right cool. back after this with updates and acquisitions and anything else that the panel has to share. Uh, enjoy. Let's see the following. I'm going to go bell out, guy, people, guys, because I got some other things I need to do. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for stopping thanks for by joining. and thanks for the update. Yep, and uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Sounds Bye, good. Guys. Thanks, Joanne, and we'll be Bye. right back after these messages. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself 
uh, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Land. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest. Having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now, everything is such a struggle. And <laughs> if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately, only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school, when on the playground, we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day, when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. That's what we try to do. Yes. All right. <laughs> Just like now. Well, we are back. We've got some folks to talk to. And I am just trying to get my... T there we go. Updates and acquisitions. Going around the horn. Uh, Sloopy, are you out there? And did you have anything you wanted to share um, during this segment? Nope. Next week. Oh, you will next week. Okay. Stay yep. Stay as tuned. A, uh, as a uh, preview, I will just say... Let's see here... Give us a tease. Yes. Both boards are in. They look like they're going to be working. So next week will be a uh, full demonstration, and they will be put on sale for the internal drive wire and the drive wirelessly boards. Awesome sauce. Woo cool. Drive, drive wireless is here uh curtis uh we've heard enough from you <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Uh, I want to update you guys on the news. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's more, is there more news? <laughs> Could there be more Please, news? Please, uncle, uncle. <laughs> Asparagus, that's the right keyword. I never heard it, so I kept going. <laughs> uh, Mark D. Overholzer, uh, our... Uh, posting the news like a like a ninja like a demon well, i don't know whatever the word I is kept him busy yeah you a were ninja. yeah i kept up you kept up yep. any anything else you want to you want to share today yeah i i got a raspberry pi 4 4 gig for christmas from my kids and so i finally got the sd card and i'm gates for it today so i'm all ready to put it together that's good i will <laughs> share a link with you arcadepunks.com check it out you can download a cool. whole ra Raspberry Pi image with all of your Excellent. favorite games, and include and cool. Retro Pi. Uh, one of the Retro Pi images includes Xroar. Ah, nice! It actually has the Coco Two um, featured. A man that had a dream. Brian Chibring, did you want to go over? Um, I saw you working with uh, your uh, your music uh, software and Ulta Muse during the show. Clearly not paying attention. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Anything you want? Oh, wait, me. <laughs> Anything yeah, else? Yeah, I'm just playing around. You're just playing around? Uh, yeah, just playing around, yeah. Now, the, the whole thing and the dream thing, it really was. I had a dream about trying to figure out what's going on with the disto and all that, trying to get the real-time clock. You know, to, so I can release some of the slots from off of my multi-pack and um, get everything into, you know, something one. That's what I was trying to work with the disto. And I just had a thought. And when I was sleeping, sometimes I have some of my, I don't know, best ideas that way, but just thought, well, what, what if you already have hardware, but you wanted to have, say, multiple RS-232 packs all going at the same time, but you don't want to hack the pack to change it to a different address than that. Well, I was thinking about a um, just one card with like maybe anywhere between three to five slots, something like that, where you can re-address each slot so you can say, okay, T2, leave that alone so that it's, so that it's already at the right address, and, but then remap the addressing so that you know, whatever range that you want to have it in, you just set, set the jumpers or, you know, however it's done. And one side of the slot looks like uh, address for uh, FF60 for uh, T3 or T4, whatever that is, uh, normal stock. But then on the other side, it's address to FF68 so that the ca the card itself or, you know, the R232 pack sees, you know, the regular FF68 address but it's actually readdressing uh, ahead of uh, so that you can use different drivers, use the same, same, same type of hardware address, the same on one side, but it looks like a differently addressed on the Coco side so that you can, you know, stack. That was kind of like the whole premise behind the, the idea. And then, you know, just so that you can kind of stack multiple cards in. Rob, Brian. Spots. Yep. I'll have to yeah. interrupt for a second here because I, we noticed that your audio dropped really low here. And actually the people on YouTube are saying they can't hear you at all. Oh, okay. Okay. Can you hear me right now? Well, we can, we can, yeah. but it's very I think soft. it's on his end. Yeah. Yeah. Got everything dropped down here. <laughs> other than, um, You're very quiet. You're very quiet. I'm very quiet. 
yeah yeah because matt said audio is too low can't hear him um so okay is that any better no no weird <laughs> mike i'm close to the microphone is that, oh, that any better that helps a bit i can hear you a little bit now that is weird um yeah you lost uh six to nine db there okay okay so you had a you you, you want to you want to have multiple cards, IO cards connected without having to uh, make... hack the hack hack the original boards, and you just have it kind of like an IO remapping uh, card, you, just so you can stack, um, say, multiple RS232 packs and uh, readdress them uh, via jumpers to, so you can have multiple. It, it was just kind of like a thought and idea, kind of like a uh, a brain fart, shall we say? <laughs> so, all right. but that that's all that was about. Interesting. All right. Well, stay tuned for that, and uh, you can find that thread on Facebook, Brian Shoebring, and uh, showing off his beautiful hair is uh, Nick Moroda. Uh, oh, your luxurious hair that uh, was featured, I believe, on on Teen Beat. <laughs> oh, enjoy the view, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good from the front or the back. Yeah, he was busy. Boy. He was busy, busy on video chat with all of his fans. Or didn't you notice we were still here? So. <laughs> no, I was trying out a little bit of a beam rider. Oh, well, they... fun, and that takes game. head swirls. Or... Well, my computer's <laughs> behind me. My Coco's behind me. Yes. What is the conditioner you use, Nick? Oh, People only my hairdresser. Only my hairdresser knows. <laughs> Anything else be, besides the excitement, the, the the excitement that's building around beam rider? Anything else from you? For me, uh, no, not really. Just uh, I'm, I'm doing non-Cocoa related stuff right now, learning a little Python. But mm. uh, for Cocoa, uh, no, just played Froggy a lot this past week. Now I'll play Beam Rider this week. And of course, I always play Buzzard Bait. There's always a Buzzard Bait happening. So Always Buzzard Bait. Well, thank you, Nick. And we'll see. You have you. a little bit of rebellious wrongness in you there once in a while. So. <laughs> I'm skipping around here, saving uh, Brian Weasler for last, but uh, last but not least, but Mark Bosley. Do you have anything else? No. A man. That was quick. Of, that was very direct. He's a he. He answers a yes or no question with a yes or a no. That's right. That's there right. Uh, Alan. Murphy, our Alan Murphy, not their Alan Murphy. Uh, you have an update on your NEC port? Um, not particularly the NEC port. Like uh, Nick Marindis was talking about, sometimes you look at other projects as a way to let certain parts of the project, your main project, percolate. So that's kind of what I've been doing the past couple of weeks. Um, because power was out and things like that, we kind of lived by flashlights and candles and, you know, good old pen and paper notebooks and things like that. So I got a lot of design and some other stuff done on a couple of other projects that uh, I'm not quite ready to announce any details about, but there are a couple of other irons in the fire. But uh, now that power has stayed on for a while and I'm caught back up at work, uh, I have started poking around on uh, Nostromo some more now. So I'm hoping that that will ramp back up after... Uh, after all the fun. All right. Sounds good. Well, we're looking forward to it. Rick Euland. 
Yeah, well, I guess a couple of ideas have collided here. Um, can I share my screen here? I'll show you what I've been working on. Uh, please do. Cool. So uh, I'll pick something and switch to here. So the, the problem is I've been working on this Coco Internet, you know, the, the network port, and it's got issues with bus timing or something. It's just not reliable. So tying in with Brian Schubert's idea, here is my prototype of the week, the Manglepack interface. <laughs> Manglepack. The idea behind it is you can connect the card that you're working on to the Manglepack, and it takes over the address decoding. And I've also got a couple extra sweeteners like the clocks I can control and the timing of the data bus. So whatever's wrong with my board that's making it unreliable, I can use this handy little gal here. So all I need to do is take my gal programmer, which, oh yeah, I ordered it from China. It's not here. So here I'm looking at it, the card's running. It's not crashing the cocoa, it's all ready to go. I just have no way to program my little magic card here. But this is the thing that's supposed to fix my, uh, the project I'm working on. And I think this might be a cool thing to have because these things are too hard to work on. They're so small, you can't, bodge wire things. I did it once. I was really lucky. <laughs> so I don't know, this may be a thing. Like uh, Brian Schubert was suggesting you have slots that just, okay, you're the card. I don't care what you think you are. You are the card in that slot. It in Concept. Oh, and you'll notice it supports Raspberry Pi or Raspberry Pi supports it or something can I, can I say too um, that mangle board is probably the most awesome product name i've heard in a long time <laughs> mangle pack. And i want to order one really well where yeah. do i order how do i get a mangle pack interface that's great. I, I think i'm actually i'm gonna make one of these just so i can work on things and yeah we'll see I'd where it goes um i have a problem though radio shack used to sell this this uh bodgeware this like Kinar wire? Kynar is that wire? what it is? I need yeah. to know the search term because I'm using this is the end of my uh well, wire wrap strapping. wire. Yeah, wire wrap wire. Try wire try wire wrap wire. Wire wrap kinar. Because I end up with a lot of enamel wire and I need this because it's easy to melt through with a solder iron and bodge things together. Well, and build boards like this stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Barton. Paul Barton probably knows where to get it. Cool. Yeah. Cause uh, like I say, I had, I haven't done this stuff for 20 years. I had a big stock of stuff from my old store. I'm using it up. So <laughs> supplies are running low now. But yes. Resources depleted. So it almost looks to... like hair. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's, that's the that's, stuff. Some of that wiring's gray enough to match mine pretty soon. Here, so. <laughs> the, the, the new Japanese uh, jumper wire stuff that you can buy that's pre-made might be soldered hair. There, it's, uh -huh. There's no way to connect to it. It's not really wire. I don't know how it makes a connection. Um, it's got preformed ends on Magic. it, and don't cut those off because you're never going to do anything with the the thing that you have cut the preformed end off of. So yeah. anyway, that's uh, that's where I'm at this week. Things are still yeah. moving forward, just slowly. And Amazon's got it. I couldn't find it. I that's but Kynar, I think, is probably the yeah. search term that I need to know. Yeah, K Y N A R. Or Perfect. wire wrap wire. Perfect. And then 
maybe we can keep moving forward if my programmer will show up. So let's see. What type of programmer did you get? Did you get like one of the uh, TL866s? Yeah, we're using a, a, geez, I don't remember. It's been, you know, it's been a month since I ordered the thing. We're waiting on China time. So uh, anyway, I don't even know how to get out of this now. Someone steal their video back. I can do that. Beauty, because uh, uh, my windowing system is a little weird, and I lose some of the submenus when I need them most. Uh, I can. Uh, I don't see. know if I can do that. Da, 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 actually, da, da, da. Uh, I can. Oh yeah, thank there we you. Go. Take it away. Yes, thank you. Rondelvo. Yes, you're well, up. What do you okay. got for us? Well, for three dollars and forty-nine cents, I got a Tandy. <laughs> um, what would you call it? Disc drive caddy? Disc, yeah. disc caddy? Just floppy holder. holder. Yeah. yeah. And the bottom of the latch isn't it's, busted off. So plus just, it disappears. So let me fix the uh, screen here. Now there that it is. Not, okay. That That's not one. Be big enough for David Ladd. What, when I was at uh, Goodwill, I, I found a rarity, a Toshiba laptop for $9. It didn't have a power supply. It's in good shape. All the keys are there oh, and wow. uh, it works. And I took and put uh, Linux on it. It only has one meg of RAM though. So it's <coughs> slow. <laughs> one gig of RAM. I hope. Yeah. So. Gig. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Not used to that. And uh, next thing I got was uh, you saw probably my, um, I got a, a gaming computer. It's actually blazing fast. And I'm able to put the screens up behind me now because before I had a slow PC. And now this is just amazingly fast. Um, it's a uh, AMD 3 uh, 3100 uh, gaming computer. It's the low end gaming computer, but it's blink it just blinks. You know, it, it's so fast. It's great. Finally have something that's... Uh, decent you know and cool. uh yeah that's my uh, um yeah i put um bcc on it and i haven't played it yet but i, I imagine it's going to go pretty quick <laughs> so that's it guys thank you very much i got i got all kinds of pictures now <laughs> I put all that kinds of stuff on all my astronomy pictures that I've taken. You're in space, <laughs> Mars, <laughs> computers, uh, Ron's garage. We've, we've got computers, walls to walls computers. So it looks like you're in like a computer factory <laughs> yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't collect uh, every cocoa or anything like that. And I have a lot of cartridges and stuff. And I probably don't even know if I have them all. I probably don't. And I, d I don't care. Um, I just have what I have. And I don't go and buy any more because it's just ridiculous now. Everything's so expensive. It's just yeah. rip off expensive now. And you can't try to sell it cheap because someone will just buy it and flip it. Yeah. So probably. Yeah. yeah. How, how terrible is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of buying and flipping, the last, uh, last man on our panel who always has updates and acquisitions. Brian Weasler, would you like to go over that 
Is this our next two-hour segment of the show? Yes. And, and, and <laughs> how, how many hours? Our final segment. <laughs> uh, a couple items, though, uh, kind of along the flavor of what Curtis was talking about, about the different versions of things. Um, I did uh, get uh, another one of the, uh, the the deluxe joysticks here. This is the uh, this is the thirty twelve the thirty twelve A, but but this one here is a little different, is because this has the the the, the Tandy versus uh, the other one just says um, it says that it says deluxe joystick right here rather than saying just Tandy right here. So again, it's just kind of the different version of the joystick. It looks the same, except for the label right here is a little different on the A, you know, and the B and the different versions there. So. Um, and this one, this one comes all all together. It had the um, uh, had the uh, the manual and the, the joystick in it as well. So, right. so, what's the cutoff point to where you will not buy it because it's too expensive? What's the like, cutoff point? Yeah, um, I mean, is it like uh, three times the original value, two times? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if I if I really have. I mean, I'm obviously on eBay quite a bit. I kind of get a feel for what things are out there and and the prices and stuff. So. I mean, for me, I guess it just kind of depends on, you know, how badly do I want it? I guess, you know, do I, do I have that, am I missing just that one piece and it doesn't come up very often, then I might be willing to pay a little bit more for it. Um, but I certainly, um, I have my list of things that I'm looking for and, um, you know, it is hard sometimes to be a little patient about it, but usually the patience pays off because, you know, if you miss out on something today, um, you know, a month later, one will probably pop up again. So. Um, I don't know if I really have a, a, a cutoff point or not. I guess kind of just kind of depends on whether or not uh, um, I want to add it to my collection or not, I guess. so. Looks like you rearranged behind you. Um, well, a little bit here. Um, I got one bookshelf that's off over here on the side that you guys have seen a picture. I actually have a second unit that I just put up here and just tried to spread things out a little bit. And I got a, a, book, a smaller bookcase that I have all of my ROM cartridges on. So... This is kind of like my little library, if you want to call it that. I have all my magazines and books, and I do have some hardware on the bottom down there. But uh, the behind me is the same as always been. The only thing that's different is this bookshelf right here. So I had a smaller bookshelf, and this one goes up a little higher. So, but uh, yeah, I've been working on that the past couple of weeks. At what point do you need a new home? <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, not yet. <laughs> Um, another item that I got here, um, I really don't have a lot of modems though, but I've always wanted to get, uh, start getting a couple of these. So this is the, uh, uh, the DCM three modem mm. there. So I got that one there in, in box. Uh, it's actually brand new, never even been used or plugged in. So I've wanted to get one of these guys. Yeah. That remember, was the first I, one that I got. Was that one I, there? The first bought, not built modem. Cause the oh, okay. club that I got into the cocoa with, um, when they when they're like, well, if you want to get online with the BBS and stuff, you've got to build your own modem. And so it was, you know, get the TTY line drivers and whatnot. And then uh, I saw one of those DCMs at the at the shack and bought one because it had the push to connect button. The best thing about that is if you hook it up, you can terrorize telemarketers with it because it puts about 9,000 decibels of carrier into the line. <laughs> and as soon as they start talking, you just hit that push to connect button and they go away. It's amazing. <laughs> start squealing on you. <laughs> um, another little item. Um, I haven't really found one, a, a, a disc cleaning kit for a while. I do have a couple of the cleaning discs for the floppies. Um, but this little thing here is kind of out there. It, it's actually... Uh, 
it's actually empty. There's no uh, none of the alcohols in it. I'll probably put some alcohol into it just because I do like to use it when I'm cleaning the disc, though. But uh, it was just a little tube. I mean, I I have a little jug of alcohol that I just put a couple drops on the disc cleaner to use it. But it might be kind of fun to have this. And it was just a couple bucks. Person had it out there, so I picked up that. Um, a magazine that I got. Um, we've all seen the family commute uh, family uh, computing magazine. This is one of their best of issues. And so it has uh, uh, different uh, uh, different articles from the from the past, and you know, again with some uh, program examples and stuff like that. So I uh, picked up that one. Uh, got a service manual for the. Um, uh, this is one of the mini discs, one of the earlier ones, uh, the twenty six, uh, the 1160 mm. uh, floppy uh, service manual for that. So picked up that here recently. Um, uh, Canadian Retro Things uh, had done a, a segment here. This is quite a while back, but he had talked about the Micro Adventure series books. Um, there was a, it's a series of 10 books that kind of takes you through a story. And as you're reading the story or the mystery, um, you come to chapters in the book where it wants you to uh, type in a small program. Now, these cover different computers. So, I mean, it's not just the color computer. It has the Apple and the Commodore. And you may have to make a few line changes and then you type in the program, you're learning a little bit of basic. And then as you proceed through the story, uh, the basic program takes you through the mystery. Um, I came across another little series that's very similar to that. Um, it, it was a series of four books here. Uh, Captain Kidd and the Pirates, uh, Superworld, Wizards of Wonder, and uh, the, the Cats of the Castle Mountain. And it's a very similar concept where, again, you, uh, as, you, as you read through the book, and this one here, this one covers the IBM PC, the PC Junior, Apple II, Commodore 64, VIC-20, Atari, uh, the Radio Shack Color Computer, and just the Radio Shack TRS-80. But again, it, uh, you, read, uh, you read a couple chapters, and then uh, it has you type in a small little basic program. And in the back of the book, um, has some pages, so it gives you the different lines uh, to change depending on which model of computer. But I, I just kind of thought that was kind of neat little little four series books um, uh, that I picked up. And then lastly, uh, these don't he doesn't uh, he hasn't made any for a while, but he did have several of them up on the uh, up on his site. Ed, I wanted to get one of his four slot MPIs. Yes, so, I have also obtained one. You okay? What color did he send you? This is that gray speckled um, hmm. 3D printing. Um, it's it a solid white. Um, it's kind of a. Mine's a solid white. Yeah, it looks white. Solid white. Mine looks I'm white. Not sure to me. It, does this come through at all? I don't know if you can see the grains. If it's going to focus not or not a little bit. Really? No. no. Uh, not really. Okay. And, there's there's little blue specks in it. It's kind of a kind of a sandy sort of uh, texture looking to it. But it's a it's it's kind of a gray and it has like a, a blue and different colored specs in it so it's kind of neat, kind of neat yeah, you have to it. you have to quit uh scrubbing on it and trying to clean it <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not dirt it's just uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just yeah. stuff so so and then uh i guess i guess i did have one other item i've never <laughs> seen this model before maybe you guys can tell me because i don't believe um this is one where someone took a joystick and converted it but it's this um how would you pronounce this uh quest questron Quest, Quest, Questron, Questron, yeah. Questron. Yeah, um, Questron. There's a Questron joystick there. 
And it's a, it's a trigger type joystick. It's just a, a left, right. It's not an analog type uh, stick, but it is, a, it, it is Coco type and it does work. But uh, no, I came across a pair of these. So I, uh, I picked this up there again, trying to, I just love the, love the joysticks there. So another one there. So. All right. Well, uh, d- just for the people on the podcast, the item you were holding up prior to the joist- to the Questron was the Mega Mini MPI, and uh, there are three more available for sale uh, as of today on Ed Snyder's website. Zipster Very nice. Zone. Zone. He does com. nice products, and he packs them well too. So you're going to get a good available product. in any color as long as it's the one that's loaded in the printer this week. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is the truth. Um, well, I'm afraid it's happened. We we have gone over the four hour mark, and I've been told that we must always consult our doctor if Coco Talk lasts for more than four hours. Plus, I'm starving. Uh, plus, <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to thank. Uh, I'm going to keep the. Uh, we're going to hit the button. We're going to go to the outro and then hit the button. And I'd like to thank everybody in the live chat. You know who you are. Thanks for all everything you're doing and uh, commenting. And everybody on the panel, and special guest Joanne Donaldson, and our surprise guest Richard Lorbieski. And you know the panel. I'm Rob Eanman. Thank you, Brian Weasler. <laughs> and we will see you uh, next week. Here's the... Outro. I'm going to share. Look at me. I'm going to share system sound in advance for the panel because I. Well, all though. Because I care. About time. It's about time today. (laughs) Here we go. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. 
Coco forever, people.